Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and ghouls, step right up. Behind this curtain lies a ghastly concoction of delight, horror, fantasy, and terror. Your every wish is our command. Your every whimsical desire brought to life. But I'm warning you, there's always a price. Welcome to the greatest And welcome back to the greatest show on earth that is Talking Terror. As always, I'm your old pal, the King of Horror, Andy G, welcoming you to this episode of the show, where it might be a little bit special for you guys, because we are going to be talking about The Stylist from last year, directed by Jill Givar-Gazayan, uh, but we're also planning on having her on the show uh, at some point in this hour to talk about it, to talk about horror, to talk about all things women in horror. Uh, so we're excited for that later on in the show. Hopefully, you know, we, we get that going. And then... Later, as always, at 10 o'clock, we will be reviewing the movie. Uh, we're not going to be joined by the ghoul tonight. Uh, long day at work as it goes, personal stuff. You know, he's just going to crash. So we get that. We'll see him back here next week uh, on the show. Uh, let's see if the dean calls in. He's been having some technical issues, so we'll find out about that. But first, we're joined by the Mad Monkey. Uh, welcome back to the show. Hopefully you're excited to talk to Jill. Yeah, King, because as always, we are keeping it funky, we are keeping it fresh. So prepare yourself as we, the Talking Terror crew, present your go-to horror podcast for all of your horror needs. You can listen to us live on Blog Talk, but if you can't, don't worry, baby, because we got you covered because you can listen to the many, 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 I mean over 500 episodes on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast fixed, baby. Just make sure to like and subscribe to our sexy asses on Instagram and Facebook, baby. What's up, King? No, what's up, Monkey? And I believe you do have the Dean. Are you in D? Uh, yes, I am. Okay. I'm here. I've made Woo-hoo. it uh, despite the long day of technical challenge in the homestead here. Um, I've been able to kind of sort things out, and hopefully it will hold. So Okay. Unfortunately, uh, the thing cool. is, uh, without, yeah. uh, as I was explaining, without... Uh, my uh, internet working, I can't even make mm-hmm. a phone call because I need uh, I have a Ouch. I have a network extender attached to the router because we don't get any cell service here. Um, so if my Wi-Fi goes down, um, you know I can't make I can't make a phone call. I can't send a text message. Like nothing works here. In fact, we pay for okay. uh, a, we hmm. we pay for a landline with a phone that's like under the couch that we don't even really know the phone number for. Like. In case right. there's like an emergency call for like for like fire evacuation or something like that, and we've lost power, so um, you know that's that's our situation. So if my Wi-Fi goes, I'm out of luck. All right, well hang in there, Dean. Hopefully you can hang on because I do believe we have Jill on the line. Uh, so I'm going to see if this is right. Bring her on, and let's get this discussion started with Miss Six. Jill, welcome to Talking Terror. Hey guys, thank you for having me. How are you doing? Hey, Thank you for coming. <laughs> so excited Welcome to have to you on. Terror. So excited. So excited uh, <laughs> to be talking to you. Uh, you're joined by myself, uh, also the Dean and the Monkey, uh, as it is, as you heard <laughs> the intro. Um, so excited to have you on. Talk about the stylus later on. Talking to you now. Uh, so I'm going to take it away, guys. If you have any questions, uh, feel free to join uh, after, you know, Jill answers, you know, the whole thing. Let's just fucking do it. Uh, so, Jill, first of all, 
what what is it about horror that attracted you to the genre? You know, it's one of those genres where people kind of tisk tisk about it because of the gore, the violence, the sex, everything that we love about it. Uh, but what made you choose that as your medium to express your art, uh, your shorts, and the feature, the stylus? I, I mean, it's such a layered question. <laughs> I feel like this is like all the reasons <laughs> you listed, but also, um, you know, I grew up such a fan of horror, and I think it's because it's such a um, confrontational genre. It's not the type of film you, that just is, you know, a passive watch most most of the time. <laughs> and um, I was really attracted to that, like just the kind of films that really, really engage you emotionally, whether that's like horror or like kind of really emotional drama. Um, and... Yeah, just I, I love it that we can also use it as a metaphor to talk about like much more serious things without it being so obvious. Um, so it it can reach more people. I feel like in that way, yeah, and it's just so much fun. We get to play with <laughs> fake blood and figure out how to do all these crazy things. <laughs> <laughs> oh, completely! It's, it's so great, and that's why I love it as well. Um, one of the other things I was thinking about earlier uh, as prepping for you to come on was that back in the day, back when I was a kid watching horror movies, uh, you didn't really see a lot of women behind the camera. You didn't see a lot of them writing. Uh, Deborah Hill, God bless her soul, was a fantastic producer uh, and assistant director uh, with John Carpenter back in the day. Uh, Amy Holden Jones, The Summer Party Massacre, was one of my favorites. Yeah. Uh, Rita Mae Brown wrote that script. But now we're seeing kind of like a resurgence of women in horror because we have yourself, we have Brea Grant, who did 12-Hour Shift. Oh, God, that's a fantastic movie. Uh, Gigi Guerrero, uh, the Sofka sisters, uh, Prano Bailey Bond, who fucking blew me away with Spencer. But how does it feel to be I a love, part of love, this love kind love of Censor. Oh, God. <laughs> like, if, guys, if you have not seen Censor, uh, I'm talking to the monkey and the dean, please do. Uh, it's a fantastic uh, set piece. But, Jill, well, how do you feel being in this kind of renaissance now for women in horror that are – writing, producing, directing, acting in it, making it their own, making it a voice to be heard. So we're not necessarily in a boys club anymore because the women are here and they have something to say. I think it's really freaking exciting. Um, I feel like lucky to be a part of this time because uh, yeah, I feel like a, there's like a sisterhood amongst like all the people you named. I've had the pleasure of like working with in different ways and we all like kind of have each other's backs um but yeah i think it's just a matter of finally this like the the issue of you know different people being behind the camera is finally a a focus so that it's now now very clear when i'm sure as men women have been trying to make films and just not you know getting the, the opportunities but there's you know when i was younger i also didn't even though I was such a fan of films, I didn't think about who made them, like, when I was really young. Mm-hmm. Um, and so yeah. I never knew, like, is this a man or a woman or anything, um, which I kind of like, you know, thinking that way, too, and not being about... Eventually we'll get to a place, I hope, where everything's more equal, where it doesn't have to be, you know, like, mm-hmm. so highlighted. But, of course, I, I understand when things are unequal, it's... That's kind of how we have to balance out the playing field. But it's been, like you're saying, so exciting, especially in, I feel like the last few years, I tend to make sure to go out of my way to see a lot of female-made films, and it's, like, been something I haven't had to try to do in the last few years. Like, 
we brought up Censor <laughs> and then like Saint Maud or like oh, Julia DeCorno's oh, movies Raw Raw and Teton. Like she's one of my favorite films, Teton most inspiring good. filmmakers. Uh, I've feel like I in this like it's coming. It's like a brand new filmmaker. Like she is someone I feel like that's like. It could be like as big as like someone like David Fincher. I mean, like huge. I feel like she has that kind of potential. Mm. Um, I yeah, I just think it's crazy exciting, and there's lots of really good films. And when I see my movie like mentioned in the list with them, I get like geeked out as just like a nerd because I can't <laughs> believe it <laughs> that like I'm being <laughs> named anywhere near those kind of movies. <laughs> oh, of course, it's got to be it's got to be amazing. All right, Dean, uh, you had a question. Yeah, just uh, and and hi, uh, welcome to Talking Terror. Um, I am our resident uh, dean of horror. I'm actually a dean in real life. But uh, earlier, uh, nice coming to meet out of you. Your first, uh, nice to meet you too. And coming out <laughs> of your first response, you know, like all of us, you said that you grew up in horror, uh, on horror. I would like to ask, uh, what were some of the early stories or early films that kind of pulled you into the genre? Yeah, I remember just loving anything that made me feel scared as young as I can remember, you know, like playing any sort of game outside that had a, if it could be like, if we could do it at night and it made it more scary, I thought that was more exciting or like, I love to go explore the woods or try to go, you know, in the fucking sewer, which so the it scene really had an effect Mm. on me. Um, (laughs) I feel like I love that. I already love that feeling. And then when I discovered there was like, you know, book like stories and books and movies that were made to do that. I was just like, you know, so excited. <laughs> but first, I discovered I feel like, you know, if, I don't know if you guys read, the, of course, the scary stories, freaking books oh, yeah. as kids. They oh, were yeah. still in like the library when I, at my school when I was little. I bet absolutely they're not, maybe they're not in the library anymore <laughs> at school. Well, well, I don't know about a library, but I actually uh, work in a school. I am a dean of students uh, and a teacher in a middle school, and uh, I have on my bookshelf the whole collection of scary stories to tell in the dark, as well as other nice. uh, related genre titles. And whenever one of my students expresses interest in uh, in this genre, I certainly uh, slide some of that stuff in, in their direction. So that stuff is still out there and still very popular. It's so good and so, so terrifying. Um, and, you know, I, so much fun. I watched Are You Afraid of the Dark on Nickelodeon, and but I discovered movie the horror movies with um, a good, I had moved across town and I'd go stay with a friend I grew up with for the weekend and her parents, let's say, didn't pay attention to what we were renting or they just didn't really care. They were like, oh, okay, this is fine. And at like nine years old, we're renting like Dr. Giggles and Candyman. Oh, um, yes. And so I was just like hooked right when we started watching them. I was obsessed and I wish I could remember all like the very first thing we rented, but I really remember Candyman and Dr. Giggles, two very different movies, but Candyman is yeah. still one of my favorites of all time. <laughs> and, and good for you for bringing up fucking Dr. Giggles. See that, guys? See that? Joe likes Dr. Giggles. That's another one. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, I, I proudly and regularly talk about my my. I, I wouldn't say hatred, but maybe maybe dislike of, of Doctor Giggles. But that but that's just me. I can only speak for myself. I can only speak so for myself. There's a 
silly, weird connection here. Movies like Dr. Giggles and like The Dentist, The Landlady, oh, all yeah. those like yeah. the, the the profession killers is where the idea for the stylist came from. I was like, how is there not already really? one of those movies? And even though I went a more serious route, it's that's where it started. I was like, how is there not already a the hairstylist or something? <laughs> um <laughs> So that's where it started. <laughs> that, yeah, that, that's, you hit the nail right on the head because in the 90s, that was all it was about, the early 90s, all about professions, all about professions that could be and turned deadly. And then the stepfather, which is fucking <laughs> yes. still awesome. <laughs> well, the temp. He's, he's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the temp, you know. So, yeah, so there's plenty of them out there. Um, and uh, I, I, just, I like the fact that, Jill, similar to you, like I had absentee parents who were just always working. So I just was able to write whatever I wanted. But then it would translate to me going to a sleepover and bringing a copy of Reanimator and going, guys, fucking Reanimator. And they wanted to watch like <laughs> Wayne's World and Days of Confused. And I'm like, yeah, but a, a girl gets head from a head in this movie. Like, how fucking cool is that? And like, Can you leave our sleepover, place? <laughs> You're creeping us out. I'm like, well, I'm fine. I'll go you home. Actually, you actually, <laughs> did, you actually did get asked. You actually did get asked to leave a sleepover because of some of the shit you brought. <laughs> uh, yes, because I did bring over Cannibal Holocaust when I was like 12. I brought a VHS of it over to a sleepover, and they're like, "What in the fuck?" And I was like, "So I wait. I wait. Okay, I get it. I read the room." Okay, that's for Cannibal Holocaust. <laughs> yeah, I was, yeah, 12, 13. Yeah, 12, 13 years old. I, I saw it on VHS. I didn't have any parents telling me no. So I was like, well, whatever, I'll watch it. And I was like, this is kind of fun. Like, all right, cannibals in the jungle, found footage. You know, before found footage was a thing. But, yeah, no, it's my twisted okay, mind you... as a kid just wanted to watch everything. <laughs> hmm? You cannot use fun and cannibal holocaust in the same sentence. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not a delightful romp, uh, anybody that hasn't seen cannibal yeah. holocaust. It's not a delightful it's not one movie. Of those movies you're like, uh, oh, I just feel like throwing on Cannibal Holocaust is a feel good throw on the background. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. Well, the King of Hard Days at work. <laughs> well, yeah, I just got home from Hard Days at work. I think I'm gonna watch Sallow. I think that's really gonna fucking melt yeah. me out. <laughs> no, I, I don't do that. No, my uh, my go-to is Texas Chainsaw Massacre, 1974. I mean, everybody knows that about me. Leatherface is daddy, you know. So. Yeah, I've got to say that. That's my favorite <laughs> horror film as well. But I also say it's not it's not a fun watch, even though I've seen it. No, no. God knows how many times. <laughs> yeah. But uh, that, and but that's that the point of it. It's not like, supposed man. to be a comfortable watch. Exactly. <laughs> no. But like every time I rewatch it, I'm like, God damn, this movie is uncomfortable as hell. Yeah. But that's it's, why it's, it's so incredible. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, it just feels like Toby had a fucking 16-millimeter camera in the middle of Texas heat in August and just wanted to make a movie. Uh, but that's a good thing I wanted to ask you, Jill, because I have my theories about Leatherface in the first one. And that he's not like Michael. He's not like Jason. He's not definitely not like Freddy. Like, to me, Leatherface is just the guy that got beaten up a lot by his family, and he's just kind of subservient to them. So if you walk in his house yeah. when you're not supposed to, he's going to do what he has to do. He's kind of a tragic exactly. character in a lot of ways. He's kind of like the, you know, not a villain, but almost just kind of somebody you feel bad for. That's exactly how I feel about Leatherface. Like, he's just been raised this way, and he's just protecting his family, doing what he's told and protecting his family. And, and yeah, I feel like he's different than, those, than the other killers because it's not like, it's not revenge. It's not like a, this, like, bloodlust, like, I want to kill people thing. It's like, I'm just 
protecting their home and feeding my family. And yeah, like he's always like towering and being, you know, he's like, he's told what to do. He doesn't have like his own, mm-hmm. I feel like motivations really. Like he's like a child yeah, no. in a, in a grown man's body. Yes. Oh, completely. I mean, he's just, he's a hulking man child. And you know, I just, I love the ending of that movie when he saw that door and all this stuff. remakes. Yeah. I'm glad they you make saw him. That, they they I, turn him into like a Michael, like a big scary Jason hulking like murderer dude, and I'm like, that's not Leatherface, guys. <laughs> Especially uh, the thank you. earlier this thank year. You. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, Leatherface is like 75 years old. He's not going to be running around like Jason, yeah, holding a chainsaw. <laughs> I never. I just. I didn't get it. I wanted to like it. I wanted to, uh, but I didn't. So, but that also leads me to talking about the stylist because Claire, she does, you know, kill and she does what she does throughout the movie. But she's also a tragic character. You know, she's one to feel bad for. And I don't know if this is apropos. I'll ask you, Jill. But I just had the vibes of Lucky McKee's May uh, when I saw Claire for the first time in the stylist, both in the short and the feature, and also a little bit of Joe Spinell from Maniac, kind of uh, a wedding of those two characters. Yeah, she's very inspired by May. Um, it's, it's interesting, I, like, growing up, all the slashers and stuff I watched, I somehow missed Maniac. I didn't see both the remake and the original till the remake came out. And mm-hmm. so it, it had influence once I decided to start watching it or writing it because I was like, well, there's another scalper and it's from his perspective. Um, but yeah, she was more of like a Leatherface and May combination, but yeah, yeah. Lucky McKee's May is such an inspiration. I love that film and how it's oh, really just yeah. like this dark drama. Like it's not really a horror movie till Like the third act, like towards the end of it. I love that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, it, it definitely is towards the end. It's, it's more of a uh, that third act slasher, you know. Um, but uh, yeah. Mark, you do have a question about uh, Claire and her scalping ways? Yes, I do. Just because, uh, yes, I'm, yeah, <laughs> Mad Monkey here, and yeah, I'm the one that's all about practical practical effects. I love practical effects, and I just wanted to ask you uh, for this film: Did you go all practical, or as practical as you could? Um, yes, it's like 99.99999, uh, practical. There's like, um, I'll give away the digital thing in a second, but the, the scalpings were really <laughs> an interesting thing to do because the scalpings aren't digital, um, because it, it's such an ordeal to plan out. Cause like I have to cast the, the actor and I have to cast the actor thinking about their hair and how we have to like find a wig that looks like it to, to use as the scalp that she, Claire will wear later. And which like, as a, I'm also a hairstylist. So like, I really noticed how bad wigs look in movies. So I was really like tormenting <laughs> myself about those kind of decisions and like the hair, which is part of why I'm in the movie. I'm like, my hair is all black. It's a really easy wig to find. Um, it was a very like practical producer decision. <laughs> um, but we, we decided with how we, because in the short film, we do the, that full scalping that's just like the opening of the feature. And yeah, in the, we're right. like, we have these, all these other kills, but we didn't want to basically just like redo the same thing in every scene. We were like, 
narratively we were thinking like when it came to the, the effects we're like how can we we're like trying to say that Claire's like totally losing her mind more and more throughout the film so maybe like each kill gets messier and messier and we can like show off different gross things with each kill like each one gets grosser in its own way and uh I grew up a huge fan of blood and guts and gory movies so like I, I think that you can have both you can have like fun gory movies you can have like into like movies with depth that can also have gore in the appropriate moments. Um, so yeah, I'm a huge fan. And but they were challenging as fuck on this on the feature. Like everyone. That's we were what like, I wanted to ask you. <laughs> also, we, was you know we came to like, you're like horrific <laughs> problems. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> because I, I wanted to ask you, like you know, as both a fan and a director, you know. How, like, you know, where was the balance there of, like, oh, my God, you know, this is so cool that we're making our own gore versus having to be on the working end of, oh, my God, I have to sit there and get this gore right. Yeah, it is. The gore is stressful <laughs> because that's a, a thing you can't – you have such little control over, like, you know, you, you plan, 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 but, like, the day you do it, you don't really know how it's going to – like actually pan out <laughs> you're like you say it you like you start rolling the camera and you're like who knows if it's going to look like how we've been hoping for the last four months <laughs> um <laughs> but like we put we do like crazy planning and i'm like very involved in it with my special effects artist not that i do any of it but that i talk with her a lot her name's colleen kaufman and like we start conversations like three months ahead of time work she has her. so much work to do <laughs> huh i said really good work from her by the way that the, oh, the kills are great. It's incredible. She can do, like, she's also a, a wig artist. So, like, this was, like, this combo thing for her of, like, she really, like, pulled hair through the, through the like, uh, prosthetic skin she added to the wigs to make the edges look better. And, um, but we have, like, we have a couple, like, two little shots in the film where we added some uh, digital blood, which I fucking have always talked shit on, on top of our practical blood just like we had one shot of Claire's hand where we're like it's not nearly bloody enough it doesn't make sense so like it's like a split second um it's within the film that I'm not going to give away the shot uh but and then at the very end and I was <laughs> I couldn't believe I was very skeptical of doing this at the very end spoiler for anyone who's watching she has blood dripping down her face and I didn't it's a very emotional moment. So I didn't want to do practical blood because I was worried about like, we, we ruin her makeup. We ruin the dress. We can't redo like right. redoing this shot. will take a lot of fixing. And the emotional part was more important to me overall. So we just had someone come in and like add a little bit of dripping. That's like so faint. You can barely tell it's like in the last couple of frames, it, it goes faster. Oh, well. And, uh, you can barely see it, but it, it looks, I was like so impressed by it. My friend Danny Del Purgatorio did it, and I was very much like, I'd rather it just have bare, like the, the dried thing than, than have some weird, like totally fake looking stuff going on. I like subtle when it comes to stuff like that, uh, but it was so fun, and they all knocked it out of the park. But yeah, those days are, are very stressful. Like, we spend a whole day, you know, just on those effects. Cause, so it takes a lot of time out of a schedule. I think when you don't make a horror yes, movie, you can make it's so much faster and so much cheaper <laughs> to make a movie when you don't have special effects. Now let's make a romance <laughs> movie. Let's make comedy. <laughs> no plot, no guts there. Rom-com. 
Let's make a Shaun of the Dead without blood. <laughs> we can make it happen. <laughs> right. Dean, yes, you had a question. I did. And, uh, you know, also following up on what the monkey had to ask about the effects, uh, something I'm very curious about, and uh, especially being one who, uh, you know, the more blood and guts and gore, the better for me. And in a lot of cases, and, you know, maybe it's just a side effect of uh, my own personal weirdness, but I sometimes uh, just find that stuff uh, to be hilarious. But my question is, because as we're watching a film with, with, with blood and gore effects and the atmosphere that is created and based on the manner in which these sequences are shot, they're usually designed to, you know, have a maximum effect to horrify or scare the audience. But when these scenes are being filmed, some, filmed something I'm always curious about is what is the mood on the set? Like, does the mood match the tone of what's being filmed? Is it like light and fun? Like when when a when a when a when a scalp slicing sequence uh, is being filmed, what what is like the tone and the demeanor on the set with the with the performers and the crew uh, and everything else that's going on? It's interesting because <laughs> that's a great question. Um, they it's it's really like fun and light mostly. Um, when we're doing that stuff, I feel like everyone's excited. Even like the actors are, it's like, we're all like cute little kids that are excited to play with, you know, corn syrup and whatever the hell else we have made up. <laughs> um, even Najara Townsend, the elite actress, she loves those days. Although I know everyone's also nervous because of, we know if it, we don't really have the time for it to not go right the first time. <laughs> um so it's interesting. You're on the it's clock like and it's and it's fun. <laughs> um, but it's not like it is interesting because it's like such, it. You'd think it would be kind of a a more heavier thing, but it's something about. I think something about it we have to feel lighter. But when we shoot like this, this movie has lots of really like emotional stuff for Claire. Like when we're doing mm. that stuff, it is a very different thing. We try to be really quiet and respectful of how the actor needs to be in a headspace and not have us making jokes to break their, you know, concentration. And so it's like emotional stuff. We're really serious, but I think for that stuff, we have a lot of fun and, and slash we're nervous about it. How it's going to go. <laughs> That's awesome. So, uh, yeah, one of the things I liked about Claire the most, aside from how great the plays the character, I like the fact that you have her killing, you have her have these moments in her car, but the moments that I kind of laugh, I'm like, I relate to this, is when she's just reacting to how she talked to Olivia before she left. When she's like, okay, I'll see you later, okay. And then in the car, she's like, you're fucking stupid. Oh, my God, I'll see you later. <laughs> like, oh, my God. I was like, you know how many dates I've had where I've, like, left? I'm like, all right, uh, check you. And then I'll leave, and I'm like, what the fuck did I just say check you? What, what the? God, you're an idiot. What? Nobody likes you. Like, you know, she's driving home trying to process it. Uh, I just, I love those pics of, of, of Claire. Because it makes her more human. Like, it's not like she's just some maniac stalking the streets. Like, this is a girl who wants to have friends so desperately. Like, she wants to be cool. She wants to be hip. Like, hey, Olivia, uh, thanks for inviting me. Totally cool. And then, nope, delete that. Not cool. No, got to go back. <laughs> just a complete revision. Yeah, I like but my question, too. Yeah. 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 It's just, I love it because it's, it's kind of, you're not supposed to be laughing so much. You're supposed to be feeling bad. But I'm like, I relate to this so much. I've had so many moments where I say something just completely stupid, and later I'm laying at home going, ah, oh, fuck, such a nerd. And this is why I can't get dates. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> there was something 
I noticed uh, watching the stylist with, with the, the costuming, uh, particularly for uh, Claire, was it intentional to have her wear that mustard dress with the white collar uh, and just kind of stick to uh, the mustard aesthetic, even in the basement, in the cellar? Uh, it's almost like a golden mustard color with all the candles around. Like, is that something that it's related to the character or is just something you threw in and said, you know what, it works? Um, it is something we very much designed for the character and, like, for the whole film. Um, it started in the short film kind of happenstance about, like, what color of wardrobe I'd have her in. And um, once we decided her color in the short, we decided that the victims would be purple, like, on the opposite side of the color wheel from yellow. And oh, then we carried that over into the feature where I really wanted to have, I love color palettes and how they can have like this very, like meaning there, like for the characters, for the story, for everything. And um, so Claire's whole life has, is all these, like you're, like you're saying, all these different yellows and oranges and browns, right. like a very yeah. muted 70s palette of colors. Mm, oh, yeah. We, we decided it would be like everything from her, like how, her clothes, her house, and like, semi of the salon since it's like partially her space partially the real world and then the the rest of the world is a, and Br- olivia's character would be you know like purples and blues and cool colors mm. you know the cool cool wow. versus warm so that claire would always stand out everywhere in the real world when she wasn't at home and um and yeah and, th- and then it transpired into something that became meaningful on a level we didn't mean in the first place where like the the gold in the in the basement, we decided to take yeah. every other color out, and it's really like just gold lighting, and we, we decided like you know like her her layer like you know, most serial killer layers in movies are like cold and dingy and mm-hmm. scary feeling, and that is but 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 because we're trying to make you on Claire's like feel what it's like to be Claire, we're trying to put you in her perspective her shoes. Like, this is her film, so we were like, this is her safe place. This is where she goes to feel better and to, like, escape her 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 inner torment. And so we were like, this needs to feel like a warm, safe place, even though it's also, you know, creepy in its own right, of course, because there's scalps everywhere. But, um... <laughs> uh, and our production designer, Sarah Sharp, she described it to the to her team of, like, the set decorators that it should feel like a nest, like how an animal's nest might look messy, Ooh, like but that. it's, like, safe and warm, and it's, like, yeah. circular and surrounding. And I was like, oh, my God, this is why the movie look, looks so good, because I work with people like this that, like, really get it. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, like, our, our DP... Robert Stern, he was, like, collecting vintage lights for that room for, like, years between the short film and the feature. And he really put time into, like, designing, yeah, the colors and everything in the movie. I can really geek out about that stuff because I love that stuff. Oh, yeah. I I love uh, how films are are shot and seeing the color composition and how they work in relation. That's why I had to ask that question because I I just loved it. It was so beautifully shot, uh, especially in the end when she kind of puts her cellar together and she puts everything away. You know, there's a certain soft quality to the light where it's almost like she's yeah. given up on her murderous tendencies and she's moving on. Uh, it's, just, it, it's one of those things, you just got to catch it. You got to be a film guy to catch it. But at the same time, it's just it's so beautiful to kind of see those colors work. Thank you. Um, 
and especially when you see Claire just kind of deciding what she's going to wear to the bachelorette party, you know, and she looks great in everything because the jar of talent, she looks great in anything she puts on. But, of course, she has to go back to the yellow, you know, the mustard, where she feels yeah. comfortable. So I kind of felt like that was her safe place. Like, I'm, I'm safe in this color, and Pepper approved, too, yeah. so that was good. Love seeing Pepper walk around. In this yes, movie. Pepper. Okay. Yeah. Now, now, no. now speaking of Pepper, uh, uh, yeah, I, I wanted to ask because you said you had it in the credits that no animals were harmed, but two cars were. I'm not going to ask about the the four cars, <laughs> but but uh, you know, thankfully, no dog, no dogs were killed. You know, even you know, fictionally in this movie because the king loses his stuff, his stuff when dogs I are killed in movies. And, but I just want to say, like, Pepper was, Pepper was just so bloody cute because I have a chihuahua myself, so I just lost my shit when tiny, tiny little Pepper came on the screen. I was just like, oh, my God, this, <laughs> it's so cute. <laughs> Literally, even though, you know, Pepper is half the size of mine. Um, but <laughs> how, was it, how was it having to work with an animal on the, the film as well? That's her dog, Pepper. <laughs> my dog. Yeah. I wish she was in it more. Um, yeah, <laughs> me one, too. This is a side thing. That last basement scene you're talking about, I'm like, why didn't I make sure that she was sitting in this in that scene? Yes. That's like one no, of my, one of my regrets. She was there, <laughs> like, because I know she was there every day we were shooting in the basement. Um, but it was, it's funny. She, I mean, she's a really tame dog. She's like, not the typical chihuahua. I have two chihuahuas. My other one is is crazy. It would not be good on set. Uh, okay. Pepper is, like, so quiet, so quiet, so chill. The problem is if you want her to, like, walk from one place to another in the shot, it's not that's not very easy <laughs> because, like, she's so distracted by the camera and there's, like, a hundred, you know, all these people behind it. Um, so there were a few scenes I'm, like, hiding on in the short film, especially, I'm like hiding on the frame, like trying to get her to walk across the room. <laughs> um, but it was fun. Like she brought having a, like a dog, an animal, if you can, that they're, they're like calm enough to be on set is such a like morale, a good thing for the morale. Like everyone just holding her all day. Um, oh, okay. But yeah, it was really. She's. It was fun. The hardest part, I feel like, was in, when. Claire, when you first see her in the film, when Claire gets home and she just like needs to walk up to the door, which normally she would do that any time, and we're like, we we can't get her to walk up to the door to save our freaking lives. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm like, she did it though. Finally, yeah, I yeah. think she might be it in this a, room yeah. somewhere right now. She can hear me talking to. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Got to get her on for another interview. Just talk to Pepper the entire time, asking about what she's on about the silence. Uh, so uh, I'm trying to make her a star and live off of her fame. <laughs> That's right. Be a show dog. <laughs> you know, get her in all yeah. the book her in all the TV shows. Um, so the one thing I really do, I have to say that I do appreciate with Stylus is that in a lot of these movies, when the killer has a reveal, there's always some kind of an explanation. There's always some kind of a background story as to why they were just have to kill. Uh, and Claire doesn't get that. Uh, and which I do appreciate. I don't. I don't need the the horror info drop at the end where she's a well, no, watch, no, you know? and, don't. And we're going to explain it, it all. Uh, was that always the intention, or was there ever a plan to be like, well, this is why Claire is the way she is because her mom beat her or something like that, uh, in in some sort of uh, side story backstory that you would film? There was a version of the script, and it's so from the very beginning of us like kind of hashing out 
what we were going to, what part of her life we were going to show. I never wanted to do that. I never wanted to, like, show flashbacks or explain it, you know, like, word for word. Um, I always knew that we'd be focusing on, like, the, like, quote, like, downfall of her serial killing in the movie. But there was a version of the script where, like, we were flashing back to her childhood. And I never, I was like, I didn't really like it. And people that read yeah. it, that was a note, too. It was like, it, that part wasn't working. And um, so, yeah, it was always our hope to kind of leave it ambiguous so people could have their own interpretations. And you know, we, like, hint at it with things she says. It was like a conversation with uh, Bria's character and just mm-hmm. a little bit about their history. But, yeah, I like the idea of, it, of, you know, films giving you more to think about versus just, like, explaining everything away so there's nothing left right. to wonder at oh at the end of the day yeah but you know a, maybe if it becomes a if it becomes a ridiculous franchise we can do a prequel in you know 20 years <laughs> <laughs> i joke about that I, I like mean, you know we'll have stylus eight she'll be in this, like space probably <laughs> and then we'll need a prequel <laughs> that explains everything and <laughs> oh, you have to have like a I'm versus down. movie too. You have to find a stylist yes, that like you actually, know versus her. What was I saying? Mm-hmm. I wanted to do a versus. Now I oh of course it was Frank. I'm like do Frank and Claire need from Maniac need to do a versus a scalp <laughs> off. Yeah, yeah. I, oh, that or and May. they can both May cry with go their to beauty school together. <laughs> Yeah. Or May goes to beauty school, you know, and she graduates and she's like, I'm going to open my shop next to Claire's. And all of a sudden we have a shear off at the end where they're battling with, <laughs> with scissors. Like, like, I don't know why I want that movie, but I do. So hopefully, you know, if Lucky ever listens and he's like, you know what, we should do that. I, I would, I would back that in a second. I'll jump right on the Indiegogo and dump some money into a May you. versus I've, Claire. I've caught, uh, communicate with him a bit and he's seen the movie and comp- like gave me compliments on it which is just like <laughs> like a nerd the horror nerd in me is like what how could he even have seen my movie <laughs> yeah that's Hopefully amazing when you, when you I ripped that. him off too bad <laughs> <laughs> that's all right you know because they're both amazing movies and I'm sure Lucky enjoyed it I mean Lucky seems like a great guy um, but Dean you had a question for Joe I did and uh, this one has to do with the pacing of the film. Uh, one of the things uh, that I found myself doing, and when I talk about pacing of the film, I, I mean, uh, you know, how spaced out uh, the kill sequences were, because there were a couple of moments where I started to sympathize with Claire uh, and her, you know, feelings that she was having of rejection or loneliness, and then had to kind of like snap myself back into it. Like, wait a second, uh, you know, she's a, she's a killer, right. killing all of these innocent people. Uh, so my question is, was uh, the pacing in regards to that and what the audience's feelings were surrounding Claire, was that, was that consciously paced uh, in that fashion? Yeah, we really wanted to make you feel conflicted like that and, you know, bring you so close to her that when you yeah when you're when she does kill then you're even like i feel i feel like i want people to still love her even after all the things she does um and then i even though i i had to personally accept that like what she's doing is 
over the top, her, her whole killing routine. I wanted to treat her as a character as like realistically as possible and it not actually be a slasher because um, in fact, the amount of kills there are in there now was something that like our, one of our co-writers had to convince me of. I was wanting less in the beginning, which I now I'm like, that would have been way wrong. But um <laughs> I didn't want it to be this silly thing where she killed like 10, 20 people and you're like, there's no way this is good. No, anyone gets away with this. And like real serial killers kill very, it's like, it's not very like, it's not like a serial thing, like one after the other. It's spread out over years and years. So I kind of wanted, you know, it to be more of a character piece where you really get to know her versus it being about being scared of her. And so we needed a lot of time with her where it wasn't about, you know, the, the fun killing part. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's a great question, Dean, because they do have the scene um, in the coffee shop where she goes for the kill with Dawn and then fucks up and just fucks up her face. She's like, oh, shit. I'm like, oh, no. Oh, no, Claire, stop. Stop. Oh, this isn't going good for you. Like, no, like, I want to help you. Like, <laughs> you feel so bad for her because all she wanted to do was take the scalp and go, but she's so distracted. And then she's like, well, shit. And the next thing you know, she's walking out with trash bags. You know, she's like, well, that's taking care of Dawn, all right. <laughs> but at the same time, you have to kind of remind yourself she's a killer. <laughs> you can't have too much sympathy for it, her. But if, you can't help it. it. it but, but it was okay. Dawn didn't have the best hair. So it, it was probably better for the character anyway. <laughs> you, you know, it, it, it wouldn't have made a good <laughs> Oh, my God. Jeez, <laughs> oh, going in hard, monkey. <laughs> Dawn's hair. Wow. Oh, I love it. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, so... Uh, just, yeah, I think a, a sympathetic uh, killer, you know, is it's interesting choice. Um, so how has it been, the fact that the stylus is now available on Shudder to watch, people are going left and right watching, and I've seen some of the reviews on there, and how has it been for you as a filmmaker seeing these reviews come out that have been generally positive? And just uh, appreciate Don't forget her you, nomination. Uh, yeah, <laughs> from the Chainsaw Awards, where she was totally glammed out on the pre-show, by the way. So if you guys get to see the pre-show, yeah, Jill is definitely rocking the sunglasses in the 70s glam. But, yeah, how has it been, you know, just kind of having your film out there now for everybody to see and people reacting to it? It's very freaking exciting, it, um, especially to go on Shudder. Because, you know, we first came out a year ago uh, physically and we've been on demand. But to go, you know, on the freaking horror, ultimate horror platform that has, you know, it's I've had a subscription for I don't even know how long, but how much it's grown in the last five years or more is insane. And it's really exciting for the film because, like I said, it's been, like, out for a year, and then for it to go on Shudder is, like, this brand-new life for it. Like, everyone's talking about it again, all these people that never heard of it. And then as the reviews, I actually haven't looked at them recently now. I'm like, you have to, as a filmmaker, you have to look at those and just, like, be able to laugh at the bad reviews because, like, half of them are just, like, three words of like that was stupid <laughs> and you're like oh, okay <laughs> thanks for leaving that yeah, please tell me more remark <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> i'm glad you took the time to post that um <laughs> but yeah i do sometimes i like i don't know if i can i have to, to pull myself away from reading like the letterbox or or the user reviews because they can get like pretty crazy <laughs> but it is what it's like about the bad ones because you're like, you know, it's only fair. Like, not everyone's going to like everything, and it's you have to get bad reviews. <laughs> well, yeah, because the bad but reviews yeah, are never going to be eloquent. 
Yeah, it's never going to be like, well, I didn't like this film because of the following reasons. It's always going to be like, that movie would suck. It was stupid. Like, what a way to waste <laughs> an hour. Too. Like, okay. I didn't get it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> None of the blood in this movie, uh, Jill. Uh, can you put more blood in it? Yeah, like, you know, no, that's, that's your no review. nudity. Boo. Um, <laughs> yeah, where were the boobs? Yeah. <laughs> I always also search the movie on you know, Twitter to see anyone talking don't. about it, and I will like every tweet, even people talking about how they don't like it. <laughs> and so I get a kick out of, out of thinking that they're going to realize that I saw it, and they'll be like, "Oh, that's awkward." <laughs> <laughs> but it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> All right, uh, Dean. You said you had a question. Uh, yeah, well, part of my question was just kind of answered. I did want to ask, um, you know, going online and, and seeking out reviews, how much of that you get involved in? Because, you know, I watched the film uh, on Shutter and on the Shutter app, uh, you know, there's reviews right on the page of the film. And looking at the reviews for the stylist, the majority of them overwhelmingly uh, are positive. But, uh, you know, you talked about uh, trying to necessarily, like, stay away from that stuff a little bit, but uh, as far as getting on to Shudder, like, what is the process to have your film end up on Shudder? Uh, how does that all work to, to get there? Yeah, um, well, we our distributor for like US, UK, and Canada is actually Arrow Video, um, which, you know, they put out oh. our special edition Blu-ray and DVD. They're our it's a great main one. distributor, so we so we started on their streaming channel. We're still on theirs, which is, you know, it's in their first couple of years. So they're kind of building, but they have, you know, such an interesting selection because, you know, they're also, you know, they're of course big horror lovers, but they're like a cult, you know, distributor. So they've got like a whole yeah. section of Westerns, a whole section of like, you know, Italian crime thrillers, like so much like <laughs> really cool, crazy shit on there. Um, but so yeah, Arrow is our distributor, which has been a freaking dream to work with a company like that. And oh, yeah. so they actually, you know, set set up the deal with Shudder. And I knew that we when we first talked with them, that they would be putting us out on more streamers event, you know, like as the time goes on because they wanted we, we were first on theirs for the first year to to you know attract attention on Arrow Player, which is awesome. Everyone should subscribe there. Um, but yeah, so then they. <laughs> I found out that we were also going to be on Shudder, and I was like, hell to the yes. So we're hoping that eventually we'll also be on, you know, bigger streamers. I think it, it's kind of the, the route to, like, it makes sense to go on the big horror one first to, you know, build the name for the movie in, in that community, and then hopefully I'd, I'd love to end up, like, on, you know, Netflix or Prime or somewhere even bigger eventually. Um, but, yes, yeah, all with Shudder, and they're a freaking – you know, I've heard so many horror stories about distribution, especially with, like, your first film. And I feel like mm. I am be, we're beyond spoiled working with Arrow on the yeah, first one. That is all I don't know what will happen <laughs> <next>. <laughs> No. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. First one is Arrow, uh, and I'm a huge fan of them as well. And I love the cover uh, that they made for the DVD Blu-ray because it's almost like yes. a, a weird kind of fairy tale cover. Uh, you know, with the with the wig and, and the head, and I don't know if that was intentional, but that's the vibe I got. I loved it. Like, that's yeah, not so the many movie people have said they, <laughs> that they it reminds them of a Disney cover, and I was like, yes, it yeah. does have like the same colors of even like the Beauty and the Beast original old cover, and yeah. um, 
that that was done by a woman named Sarah Deck, and it was her idea. So like she watched the film, and I always imagined like Claire's face would for sure be on it. it just it always thought that's what would end up happening. And she pitched this idea of the mannequin head wearing Claire's hair, like the reverse mm-hmm. of yeah. what's going on in the movie. And I was like, that, I was like, it like almost brought tears to my eyes. I was like, you get to this movie. I love you. Yes. <laughs> like, I was so excited. She just sent like a sketch of it at first. And it's freaking awesome. And to, to brag further, Arrow hooked us up with <laughs> Burning Witches Records. So like our, our score yeah. is on vinyl. And the no same kidding. art's on the front, but then Sarah did a, an original piece for the back of it, which is pretty cool. Oh, see, there you go, Dean. You're a vinyl fan, so now you're gonna have to seek this one out. And if it's a collection, I will yes. keep that. I will, I will keep that in mind. I do have a very extensive collection of vinyl records, and I uh, will keep my eyes open. That was a major. Excellent. Be, beyond a dream come true, I didn't even like think to think could we possibly have the the score come out? Um, and Arrow just casually asked us like, "Would you be interested in doing that?" And we're like, "Um, interested? Uh, yes. Are you crazy?" <laughs> and that really, I I will say, um, you know, I I read a ton about vinyl and things going on in the vinyl world. That's that's amazing because uh, there is such a a backlog of uh, even high-profile musical artists uh, trying to get their stuff pressed on vinyl, uh, that the delay sometimes is is absurd. Uh, one of the largest vinyl pressing plants in the world, uh, I believe down around the L.A. area, uh, burned down a couple of years ago, which has thrown the whole vinyl industry oh into an uproar because of, uh, you know, there's not many pressing plants that have still that that have the ability to to press in high capacity, um, and that was like the big one. So, but that's 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 great news. That's great to hear. That's awesome that that's happening. Thank you. Yes, yeah, yeah. crazy exciting. <laughs> so, you know, like you had said, you were, you were joking earlier about how many sequels you could really get out of the stylus. So, <clears throat> have we seen the last of Claire? You know, is this movie? kind of the end, kind of the bow on top of everything, and we're done, we're moving on. Or, or do you think that we might eventually see her pick up the scissors once again and come back? I, it's funny because I'm not sure. Um, when, we made the, when we wrote this movie and made it, I definitely intended on, like, the ending for me within, like, the, wor- the version of her world that exists in that movie, like, it's the pretty much the end um yeah yeah to me like the police are showing up but i didn't want to film that mm-hmm. to me that wasn't like interesting um yeah, totally. but but ever since we've stopped i've been like you know maybe we could make a sequel that would be fun <laughs> um <laughs> and i would love to see claire again uh it's been weird at, actually since when we started well, when we were near finishing the film like the post-production, I started to realize that like this was coming to an end, this like journey I've been on for forever and that Claire's been like part of my life in some way for a very long time with the short film in the feature. And I was like, it like was a scary realization. Like suddenly this is, this is going to be over. And I was like, yeah. what? <laughs> um, so it's interesting. I don't know. I think it's funny because I think my co-writers are like, 
Jill, no, we never planned on doing that. Hell no, they do not want to do a sequel, but I'm like, I might do it. I don't know. <laughs> so I have no and idea. sequels are I tough, mean. yeah. Yeah, sequels are tough. You know, it's, it's a hit or a miss. Well, whether it's going to work. Well, you have the uh, – so. well, sorry, yeah. King. Uh, you, you have the option of sequel, but then uh, have you ever possibly thought about, since now you have Ty Shutter, of possibly doing a miniseries, if you will, of – you know, one-hour episodes. I have not thought of that. <laughs> and and then, if anything, yeah. you could sit there and create a story about the build-up of Claire and the development of the serial killer and how she came to be. But that, but you don't have to sit there and go into the whole thing again of going into the total backgrounds, but the development of Claire as a killer. I guess we're going to have to have you there to help pitch the show. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, I guess, Monkey, you're going to have to do something uh, for that. So be interesting. I mean, uh, 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 hmm. uh, just pay a paycheck to Talking Terror, and we'll be cool. Sure. There we go. <laughs> I mean, <clears throat> but honestly, out of all, all of the shorts and everything that you've made, uh, Jill, aside from the stylist and Call Girl, if there's anything that I want either a feature of or a sequel to, it's Police Brutality. That's probably my favorite, uh, just because of just how quick to the shot it is, and I just wanted more. It's like a minute's done enough. I wanted more of this character. I wanted more, you know, and just explore it a little bit. Um, and I, I, obviously, that was for the blood drives, you know, so you have to do like a minute long thing. But if you guys haven't seen Police Brutality, it, it's a minute five, which is awesome. I mean, to be, I love doing that because it was just like. The thing with that is there's not really much of a character to be to <laughs> talk shit on myself. It was more of like a visual, yeah. you know, ex, like experimental thing. It's like a black metal music video, you know. <laughs> That's why I loved it. Because <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I, I love to do more music videos. And so when I, whenever I would do the blood drives, I would just kind of experiment with that kind of like thinking of like, let's just do something visual and cool. Not necessarily like a story, um, but yeah, that was a lot of fun to make, and that we shot that on film. That's the only thing I've done that we shot on film. Yeah, sixteen, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. That's another reason why I loved it. And so, it had that all the film. effects and those light flares are like <laughs> real. It's not from us putting yeah. that on and in, in post production, which was really cool to see. And we messed up a whole yeah. damn roll and actually used some of it. We're like, well, that looks like I'm possessed, so let's just use it. <laughs> yeah, and, and it works. And then you mentioned music videos and, of course, sipping on some syrup. You know, one of my, another one of my favorite uh, blood drive videos. <laughs> I mean, that's just three-minute music video a, with, with Jill rapping. So there you go. I'm a huge rap <clears throat> fanatic. Oh, rap We'd love life, to make right? rap videos as well. <laughs> oh, of course. You know, and you got the eye for it. I definitely think you could do it. Again, guys, you know, these are on YouTube for free. You can watch them, uh, you know, on Jill's uh, YouTube page. But <clears throat> check them out if you can. Uh, so, Jill, as we wrap up, uh, what is going on with you currently? Are you writing anything? Are you working on anything? I know you just did uh, production work on Black Mold. Uh, but uh, after that, uh, what do we have going on? Anything? Yeah. Well, I want to drop a more info about Black Mold. Um, Black Go Mold ahead. is a new, is a thriller 
um, written and directed by John Pada, who edited The Stylist. We've worked, so we've worked together nice. for a long time. Um, and he's been a writer-director for longer, you know, before I was filmmaking and kind of really helped me get my start, too. So I w- I'm helping produce his – it's a feature, and I did hair on the film, too, but we're, we're hoping it'll start playing film festivals early next year. And we shot it in all these abandoned buildings in the middle of nowhere in Illinois, and it was a lot of fun and kind of scary for real at times. <laughs> um, yeah. But it was so also just refreshing to be on a set again. I hadn't actually worked on a set since the stylist like two years ago. And um, so that also gave me a kick in the ass. I'm like, I need to get home and get these scripts written. I'm trying to actually do. Go. So I've been just trying to focus on some I'm writing, which not to bum you guys out, isn't horror, but it's still like oh, edgy and cool. No, it's not a musical. <laughs> um, there will be lots of music in it, but it's oh, definitely not a okay, musical. Okay, great, yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, that's no singing, but dancing. Ah, <laughs> dancing. Okay, so all right, there'll, there'll be there'll be lots of hip hop in it. Oh, It'll be like well, I'm dancing and leaping for the Lord. Oh wait, no. <laughs> Oh, yep. Yes, sure. I'm remaking yeah, but, Footloose. Why not? With rap music. Here we go. Yep. It's going to be a hip hop Footloose with Jill Six on the camera. Yeah. And of course, she's going to pop Jill up. Six is also That's an play. idea. Jill Six is also going to play Ren. She's also going to play the role of Ren. But, but this time it's going to be hip hop, not bad rock and roll. I'm yeah, gonna, she needs to this do is the, an idea yeah, that needs to be part. pitched. Yeah, just <laughs> driving up in an old Beetle in an abandoned warehouse and just dancing to hip hop. Everybody's like, where's that music coming from? We don't know, but she has to dance. And they're still, you know, crumping and all this other stuff in an abandoned warehouse. Like, that's just half the movie. That's like a good 20 minutes. So, yeah, you're gone. <laughs> you know, get, get the script you know, rolling already. What's that? The, I learned that trailer kids, right like, there. during the pandemic, kids during the pandemic were living like it was Footloose era again, <laughs> where, like, dancing <laughs> is not allowed. Because... I was doing some kids' hair, and it was, like, prom season, and they're, like, they're having a prom, but they're not even having a DJ. They're have like, there's going to be no music. I was, like, what? What? <laughs> I was, like, no what? dancing allowed. You guys are going to have to have underground dances. It's it's the 1950s again. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, so God, it's man. amazing with no music. <laughs> Got to meet up like in just a outside of town in a basement to actually have a proper prom. And Jill Six will DJ. <laughs> yeah, rap battles going on. I mean, it could be the whole okay, thing. I'm not yeah, trying to get in any trouble with these kids. <laughs> I'm not DJing <laughs> at a party. But Jill said she no. would. She said she'd be here any minute, yeah. guys. I swear. She told Jill me Six on the ones and twos. <laughs> <laughs> And you know, Joel's just sitting Hell at home, yeah. suckers. <laughs> I was never planning on showing up. <laughs> but again, Jill, thank you so much for coming on and talking to myself and to the Dean and the Monkey. And thank you so much for the movie that we're going to be talking about in just a minute, The Stylist. Loved it. Can't wait to break it down with the boys. Uh, but thank you so much for joining us, Jill. It's been a real pleasure. You've been a great guest. Thank you so much for having me. It was great to meet you guys. <laughs> Thanks for showing up. I can't up, wait love. to hear what you guys say about the movie. You better oh, be oh, nice, or I'll much. have to scalp you. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, no pressure. Oh, so good luck with that. No pressure. Yeah. No. Now you can talk shit too. It's yeah. fine. 
<laughs> no, 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 no. It's too long. Be... I know the problems with it. <laughs> <laughs> she's already starting out. Oh, thank you, guys. She's like, you guys are going to hate this. <laughs> thank you, Jill, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Oh, that was that was fucking amazing, guys. Having Jill Gavarkazian on the show talking about stylists, which we're going to get into in a minute. But yeah, uh, check out her stuff on YouTube. Check out stylists on Shutter uh, and all her other stuff. So okay, so as we were talking about during the conversation, the stylist is about a young woman named Claire who works at a salon by day and scalps victims by night. But she is given the opportunity to do the hair of client Olivia for her wedding, but. What turns into what could be a dream friendship becomes the ultimate nightmare for all involved. Uh, I am a fan of this movie. I saw the short years ago, and I thought, you know what? It's a kill, and I like it. I want more. And Jill, I think, with her two co-writers, definitely delivered and fleshed more out of the Claire character. And like I said, we'll get into what I liked about it uh, as far as her character. But, Monkey, what did you think about The Stylist? This movie fucking sucked. There wasn't a blood. There wasn't no titties. There was nothing. Man, this, no. Oh, okay. Jim, no, I didn't no. say that. I didn't say that. That was monkey. Go ahead and scalp him. No. Uh, <laughs> no, um, no, no, no. I'm, I'm making jokes about <laughs> Jill Six's re- reviews. Um, okay, granted, this movie was lengthy. I honestly think this movie could have been shaved about half an hour. Um, oh, and shit, huh? what? All right, behave. We're talking about Joe Six's movie now. All right, we're not going to be cheeky. Yeah, we're trying to be dumb in here. It's a haircut. Jesus. <laughs> God, get my down the gutter, monkey. But anyway, um, <laughs> I, I, me, per, me personally, and I'm pretty sure that Dean is going to echo this, is I wanted more blood, you know, just because three kills is not enough for me for a movie. Um, <laughs> but, but also um, the texting – was pretty heavy for me in a movie because um, mm. it was like at least 15 minutes of texting and anytime that happens you, you lose you just you just lose me in a movie and we, we talked about it you know uh, with Quentin Tarantino's movie when we had the te- mm. texting going on you know with death proof you know it, it just takes away yeah and there's ways to, there's ways to get around that because uh, again I'm a you know you guys know I'm a big anime and there's a movie that I uh, that I love called Voices of a Distant Star, and the whole movie is nothing but text that back and forth, literally from one side of the galaxy to the other. But instead of just having shots of text on screen and you have to read it, and therefore you don't really know the emotion or something, this easily could have been fixed by having the actors just do voiceovers of the text going on and then you don't lose your audience as much. And it's just all the texting for me really, really took me out of the movie. You know, other than that, like, the movie was a great psychological thriller. Um, you know, when the gore was there, it delivered. Um, but then there was also the lack of security cameras, which we'll get into later. <laughs> um, but, yeah. <laughs> okay. So, so, Dean, what do you think about the stylist? Yeah. Uh, I liked it, and uh, when when Jill Six was uh, getting off the line, she said, "Oh, I know it's too long. I know I know what its flaws are. Um, you know, I guess when we when we have stuff like this, it's very easy to look at our own work and, and be hypercritical." Uh, and 
I disagree with uh, perhaps a half hour being cut, but, um, you know, I felt that, and similar to what I've said about some of the older films from the 70s and very early 80s, the comments that I've made about films and their pacing, um, I do feel that there were some sequences here where things just kind of lingered a bit. So, like, I feel like a minute or two here, a minute or two there, uh, throughout the film uh, would have had this moving along at a, at a brisker pace. But uh, overall, I enjoyed this film. Uh, I had not heard of it prior to this film being announced as our pick for the evening. And I, um, I very much enjoyed the fact that uh, we are just presented Claire without any backstory or uh, possible motivations uh, for the extreme actions that she takes. So I enjoyed this one. Great. Yeah. yeah, it is. And that is a, yeah, it's another thing that, I, yeah, I enjoyed about it, and we talked to Jill about it earlier, uh, is that when the movie opens and you meet Claire for the first time, you know, she's getting ready for her client Sarah to show up, and you see there's a couple people in the background, but they start to slowly leave after their appointments are done, you know, asking her if she wants water or wine, and, of course, Sarah's like, hell yeah, one o'clock. And, of course, it's going to be true, <laughs> you know, because Claire... Claire, this isn't her first rodeo. It's not, you know, it's not like, fuck, my first kill. You know, she, she knows what she's doing, um, and she does it well, um, because we have the conversation between Sarah and Claire, and it's just like, yeah, I guess I'll do whatever I want. I got a boy toy, uh, and you know what? The only people that know about boy toy are you and boy toy, and that's because you're a stranger. Once I leave here, that's it. You know, it's a, who are you going to tell? Who's going to care? And that's why I could tell you this in confidence because I, it's not about trust, but the fact that you're just going to vanish when I leave here, and then we're never going to meet again. So it's one of those things Almost where it's kind like of a Claire. Where, <laughs> yep, you know, and it, it's just one of those weird things where it's like with Claire, she doesn't have any friends, she doesn't have a boyfriend, which I, I'm surprised because Najara Townsend is so beautiful. I'm like, how is this woman not having somebody kind of saying, you want to go out sometime? Like, I, I can't believe it. So, you know, it's it kind of uh, suspend uh, reality for a little while while you go through it. Uh, so Claire begins to work on Sarah's hair as Sarah drinks the wine. All of a sudden, we see the wine glass crash to the floor, and that's when we get Claire channeling her inner Frank Zito for Maniac because she gets to work putting the apron over the door so nobody can look in, grabs a mop and bucket, and then goes to town on Sarah's head and scalps her and placing it onto a glass model head that she keeps in her drawer. Uh, so Claire returns home and then goes down into her lair, where she has a special vanity table surrounded by multiple candles and things and other scalps that she has taken. Uh, and she goes to pin her hair up just so she could put this hair on. So it looks perfect. You know, it's not like her hair's all messed up and hanging out bloody outside of the, the wig. Uh, it looks great the way she does it. And then she begins to imitate Sarah. You know, well, I guess I'll just do whatever I want and kind of smiling and looking in the mirror because she <laughs> wants their life. You know, she wants to have that kind of lifestyle where, yeah, I work and I have a husband and I have a kid and I have all this stuff. All Claire has is Pepper, and if all you have is Pepper, I think you're living a pretty good life because Pepper's adorable. So if I just had Pepper in my life, I'd be like, my life's pretty fucking good. <laughs> you know, I don't really have a lot to complain about. Uh, also, though, uh, before we get into the, you know, like if, if I can backtrack a little bit, though, is we uh, have her, you know, actually doing her hair 
And, uh, you know, Jill Six filmed it in such a way where it's almost like a ballet. You know, it's a, it's, it's a dance. It's, you know, it's pretty as yeah. hell to watch. You know, the, the, mm-hmm. these sequences and the, the motions she's going through. And this is going to be the setup later, you know, on every time she goes through, through doing someone's hair. It's a very, very zen moment, for, you know, for our main character here, you know, and her go, going into her zone and doing her thing. And I think all of that was shot really, really pretty, you know, and just very, very relaxing before you get smacked with the glass falling on the ground and then the atrocity of what's happening. I was like, oh, shit, that was fucking fast. You know, I was like, you know, I, I was not expecting it that fast. I was like, oh, right. No. We're going getting right into this. Nicely done. <laughs> it's just so immediate and just so unexpected when it happens. You're like, okay, what else am I in store for with this movie? Um, and, yes, I do agree with you, Monkey. The, the montage sequences of her cutting hair and washing it and shampooing it, it's so fucking relaxing, too. Like, it kind of takes you out of the fact that she's a killer. Uh, and you're wondering if she's going to kill this person or not. I mean, because we do later see that she does men's hair, too. And I was like, you know what? I've never been to a salon. I always go to the barber college. Five bucks. You know, so I would well, never know what it feels poor. like to drop $60 on a haircut. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we yeah never. That, that's why I shaved my <laughs> head. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You didn't want to have to do that. I'm sure, uh, you know, the facts are, are also that, uh, you know, women's haircuts – are so absurdly priced, uh, you know, compared to, to men's haircuts as well. Oh, yeah. There's a well, lot more in-depth with women's hair. Yeah, well, there's also, yeah, you're also talking about creating a style. You're not talking about trimming up and maintaining. You're talking about creating a look and establishing a look and yeah. going through that, you know. And so you're talking about hours worth of work versus our 15 minutes. You know, so, you know, when it it comes to women's fashion versus men's fashion, you know, it it really is, you know, time on the clock. (laughs) Yeah, you know, I I walk in, I'm like, can you give me the fat hipster? And I'm like, we got you. And then I walk out five minutes later and my hair's cut. So, yeah. But, but dude, I got to say, I felt totally ripped off, though, man, because it's like, you know, she's getting her hair done. She says 65 bucks. And I was like, last time I took the diva out to get her hair cut, it was 150 plus tip. And I was like... Holy shit! 65, I'm with you. See? You need to go to Claire. You might die, but yeah. you also might end up with a really nice haircut for $65. Yeah. You know? So, yeah. So, um, so the next day, Claire receives a text from a client named Olivia, played by Bria Grant. She's having a wedding hair emergency, and we need help. Like, I need you help with my hair. But we also get the really cool aspect of the split screen, where you kind of see both of their lives. You know, where you have Olivia, and she's running in the morning and getting ready for work, and she's got Charlie as her fiancé, and she goes to work, and she has friends and her coworkers, and then you just see Claire driving to work, just driving, going to the coffee shop, getting the same thing, you know, over and over again that she orders every day, you know, and then it's kind of like that clashing of it. Uh, and Claire is not interested in doing wedding hair. Like, listen, it's just it's not a thing for me. It's nerve-wracking, and I'm not interested. But also, while Claire is at the coffee shop, she notices a dot of blood on her boot. And then she has to have that weird kind of shake back and forth on her feet to kind of rub it off. You know, and oh, no. see what, you know, so yeah, it, it doesn't quite rub off. And you know, she gets her usual latte and then she tells uh, Olivia, you know what? I will think about it and I will get back to you because seriously, 
I don't really want to do this. So imagine that being the movie, you know, Claire just says, I don't want to do that. And she's like, okay, I found somebody else at the end. Luckily, Jill was like, you know what? There's more story here. You know, we're going to get her in and we're going to get her <laughs> into this appointment. So, you know, again, split screens of their lives, you know, Claire eating alone, you know, with Pepper walking around and then you have Olivia talking to Charlie and then going through all these different things. Um, you know, it's just one of those things where Olivia arrives home and she's like, I'm home and I can't wait to see my fiance. Well, Claire can't wait to see either because she's parked outside watching walk into your house. <laughs> Not only, you know, is she your stylist, but she also knows where you live. And, you know, she's just right out there and just having a good time. So she finally decides, yeah, yeah. you know what, Olivia, I'll help you. You know, let's come over to the salon and I'll hook you up and we'll, we'll work on a style. Oh, my God, you're literally saving well, my life. And she's like, <laughs> I don't know about that. Yeah. <laughs> well, also, don't forget, there's also the, the other thing, though, about that, you know, she's been doing Olivia's hair for years. You know, oh, yeah. years. You know, so so they know each other. They have each other's little sto- stories. You know, she. So who knows how many stories? You know, she's heard Olivia t- tell her in the chair. You know, and how much has she soaked up? You know, over o- over these years. You know, so so there's that extra bonus of it. It's not like you know, they've only met a couple times or something like that. You know, they have known each other for years. It, and the hairstylist, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. position where y- y- you share stories. Yeah, you know, you swap, you know each other pretty intimately, you know, but then again, like we see later on in the movie, you know, how well do you know her? Like, how well do you know Claire? You know, she's your stylist, you've known her for years, but do you really know her? You know, it becomes one of those things with her, with uh, Olivia's bitchy little friends, you know, and they're like, man, like this guy, weird. But anyway, um, you know, she does Olivia's hair and it comes out the way Olivia wants it. And she's so excited and looking at it in the mirror, like, this is perfect. And she's just like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. Like, come over to my house, girls' night, uh, try on the dress, and we'll hang out. So you see immediately Claire's like, oh, my God, this is, like, the greatest day of my entire life. I'm going to get to hang out with Olivia at her house. But then you cut to immediate fear because she's looking at all these wine bottles. Like, I love that about Claire. Like, she's so happy one second, and the next second she's like, oh, fuck, there's so many bottles of wine. <laughs> just pick one. It's fine. <laughs> I, I felt so bad for her. I just Just pick one. You're going to be fine. It's wine. She will drink it. Uh, and of course, she arrives at Olivia's house, you know, with the wine, and she's calmed down. And, of course, Olivia's like, oh, that's perfect. Hey, listen, I'll drink that. Like, Yay. You know, a little victory for Claire. Um, as she walks around waiting for Olivia to try on her dress, Claire discovers Olivia's scarf, puts it on her arm, and checks herself out in the mirror, kind of enjoying, you know, what it looks like on her. And she's just going to take it anyway. So, you know, good thing it looks good on her because she's just going to be walking around with that scarf later. Um, but still, just add that to the to the uh, resume of Claire, who's both a thief and also a killer. Um, so Olivia is having hard trouble with her dress, and of course they have this moment where Claire notices a key hanging from a mirror. So yeah, Chekhov's gun. We're going to see that key come back at a certain point. Yeah, um, but she <laughs> also goes upstairs to. <laughs> so she sees Olivia in the dress and helps her, you know, button it up so she can look at it. And then she's like, "Well, can you help me unbutton it?" And then you get this kind of moment with Claire where it could be just kind of, I wish I kind of had her body or man, I wish I knew what it could be to be with her. Like, I think it could be read either way. I took it as she kind of was developing a sort of crush on Olivia in a way, you know, over just kind of checking out her body. I don't know what you guys thought about that. Well, yeah, uh, I thought the exact same thing because it was all about the camera focusing on the small of the back. And that's like, you know, Mm -hmm. like 
uh, uh, the, you know, the zone to go for. You know, listen, listen to any fucking Prince zone. I mean, Prince song. You know, he's talking about you know kissing on the back, and, you know, kissing on the small of the back. You know, that you know that that's mm-hmm. a really, really fucking sexual little place right there. And you know, yeah. it was intentional. Like to me, I took it as intentionally sexual without crossing yeah. the line of going into TNA. We, you know, which Jill was mm-hmm. very smart and very witty about because just when you thought you were gonna yeah. see it. Nope. You know, you have a yeah. You have a camera cut. So you know, very smart part on Jill for that. But yeah, the small of the back is just as sexy, you know, and extremely erotic. Yeah, and yeah, it's just yeah, nudity, especially in this movie, is unnecessary. I think you're much better with implied. Uh, so yeah, again, like you said, Mike, I think she did a great job with that. Uh, so Olivia and Quay return downstairs, and they start talking about their lives and. Olivia has a great mom, you know, and, and a support system, but she never really knew her dad, so she's probably just going to have to walk down the aisle by herself. Chekhov's gun. We'll check that out later when someone does walk down the aisle. Well, unfortunately. Um, but Olivia's like, well, what about your life, Claire? Like, you know, what, what's your deal? And she's like, well, I had a mom uh, that died at 35 when I was at 17. I didn't really know my dad, but my mom was also a hairstylist, so it kind of runs in the family, and she was constantly changing her hair. So Claire never knew who was going to be coming home. And so, it, like Jill had said, this is kind of like your little info drop on Claire. You're not going to get much more, so that's it. You know, this no. is a little bit of her. No, mom's dead. Father really didn't know, so that's about it. That's all you need to know about Claire. Uh, and and, and, and mom died drunk. Yep. She was <laughs> drunk, and she, di- and she died when Claire was 17. So, you know, that's all you yep. need to know. And I thought, again, very smart. Uh, but Olivia's fiancé, Charlie, comes home, and he immediately cuts her off when she's trying to make introductions. And, oh, babe, I'm just hungry, you know, and I'll just make you something. She's like, okay, babe, slices of pizza over here. And it's something that we'll take note of because uh, it's obviously Claire seeing that. It's kind of like you don't do that. You know, you don't, your, your fiancé is trying to be nice and sweet and introduce me, and you're going to be mean there. I don't really like that. So that causes Claire to leave. And, again, just like I was saying, it's kind of like a relatable moment for me. She's driving home. She's like, okay, see you guys later, whatever. And then she just berates the fuck out of herself. Like, oh, see you later. Oh, my mom, my mom died. Oh, oh, you stupid fucking idiot. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I could relate. <laughs> like, you know, what, did I say too much? Did I not say enough? You know, was I cool enough? So, yeah. It's, again, one of those things yeah. where I just I found myself relating to Claire and just appreciating her, even though he shouldn't. He's a killer, but still. Yeah, I know, thing. but beating on, beating on that steering wheel with that poor little Toyota Corolla. Be, beating <laughs> on, yeah, yeah, I know, yeah, I noticed yeah. what car it was. I know you know, yeah. Even though Jill tried to blur it out in the camera, I was like, nope, I caught you. I caught you. <laughs> <laughs> she tried to blur out the name well, of the car. Yeah. I was like, nope, I got you. <laughs> Can't blame her for that. You don't want fucking Toyota coming after her, being like, "Yeah, we want our cut." Oh yeah. Shit. <laughs> yeah. We blurred it out, motherfucker. What are you gonna do now? So, um, <laughs> so Claire, you know, upset. Obviously, she decides to go to one of her happy places, which is the coffee shop, and it's like it's like ten, eleven o'clock at night. It's closed, but Dawn, the barista that's always giving her her usual order, is still there and kind of feels bad for Claire in a little bit and just says, "You know what?" come on in, you know, I'll make you your drink and it's going to be fine and it's going to be your usual. So Claire gets it and then immediately walks outside because what she had done was once again drug the coffee that's being drank by Dawn. 
you know, you see it, it's very quick, but Dawn had a cup of coffee out and she quickly drugs it because we later see Claire walking across the street to watch Dawn close up the coffee shop and you see her drop outside when she's putting the trash in the trash cans. And that's going to give Claire the opportunity to, to me, this is kind of like a, a, a thrill kill. Like, this is like, I'm so fucking pissed off. I'm so angry. I just need to fucking kill somebody. Like, there's no preparation time. Yeah. There's no real kind of laying anything down. It's like, I got the body. I'm dragging it behind the counter. I'm going to grab this, you know, knife I found, this, you know, scissors I found, and I'm going to take the stuff no. off. But, no, no, she yeah. pulled, no, it, it was, no, it was, it was her scissors that she pulled out of her purse. It, it, it was okay. actually her okay. kill scissors. Okay, see, I thought she just pulled out a pair of scissors from her drawer, and she's like, fuck it, i got to be quick. Um, but no, because it was, it was still the me. golden handle scissors. Okay, yeah, see, I didn't notice. I, just, I was still invested in what was happening. I didn't even notice that, so a good call. Um, so while this is all happening, Claire gets a text from Olivia saying, oh, my God, I had so much fun tonight. By the way, uh, bachelor party, bachelorette party is on Saturday. You told me to come. And, she, okay, so she has work to do. She has to get that scalp from Dawn. Uh, but she is so distracted by what happened in the text, she accidentally cuts right across Dawn's face with the scissors. So she's almost perfect, and then whoop, drags that scissor right across her face. And that's when Dawn wakes up, and she's like, what the fuck? What the fuck? And Claire has to immediately take her out with a pair of scissors, just slamming it over and over and over again. You know, oh, not yeah. the cold, calculated kill <laughs> that we see her do. You know, earlier, this is, a, you know, a throw kill. I mean, this is like, I have to get it done. So she stabs her immediately to death. And then, yeah, casually, you just see Claire cleaning up the blood off the floor and then throwing away the trash bags of the dismembered body parts. Like, fuck it. I don't, like, don't put them in your car and drive them to the edge of town or anything like that. No, because she panicked. Yeah. And she had to get yeah. rid of that body quick. Okay. And that's when and she... This is, go ahead, Monkey. Yeah. Oh, so, oh sorry, sorry. Can you go ahead and conclude? Don't go right ahead. Yeah, I was just wrapped up. So, yeah. Oh, um, thank you. Uh, yeah, this is where I have a problem with this is because this becomes an issue later. Um, and mm-hmm. my thing is, okay, you know, we have a movie where everyone has modern-day cell phones, but apparently hardly anyone has security cameras in this movie. And you're telling oh, me yeah. this tiny yeah. little coffee yeah. shop didn't have security cameras in here where, we, you know, later when we have the husband going around asking, you know, what, you know, hey, have you seen my wife? You know, she, she's been missing for several days. Um, no, the brother. The coffee shop yeah. should, should have had security cameras, should have been in there, and... You know, it's it's a glitch, and it's kind of covered later. You, you know, when there's uh, some other shots of her, because again, it's like you know, I live in a fucking ghetto ass apartment, man. All of my fucking ghetto ass neighbors have all have cameras in their windows. Everybody's got security cameras in their windows. This coffee shop should have had full on security sh- shit going on, you know, and this should have been easy enough. Of yeah. Shit went down in the store, you know. Here's the yeah. video. Yep. The, the, I, mm-hmm. I just had a major problem with that. No, I, I yeah. I mean, it, it could be considered a flaw. I, personally, I didn't think about it. Like again, it's one of those details that I'm just not really paying attention to. I'm not saying that you shouldn't, um, especially because later there's a, a shot of her that they get for a poster, and I was like, okay, so they had they had cameras in this ghetto area. You know, but not at the coffee shop. Exactly. I get it. I get it. That's I what get it. I was saying. I just, yeah, <laughs> I just, like I said, it's not something that I, it's not something I really paid attention to. But I'm glad that you bring it up because I'm sure there's people out there that probably didn't notice that. I mean, me, I was, I was just there for the ride. Like I just, I wanted Claire not to get caught. <laughs> just, I wanted her to get rid of the body and then go home to Pepper and just hang out, which she does. She goes home for a bath and 
she's been following Olivia on social media, so she's just kind of watching her videos, and you hear her voice talking about the upcoming nuptials and everything like that. But then Claire has this moment where she goes to a hardware store and gets a key because she's, quote, unquote, trying to keep someone out. But then you see her return to her cellar, her lair, and that's when she starts covering everything up, like she's giving up on killing. You know, Olivia has unlocked something in her, making her a friend, so she just doesn't need these scouts around anymore. So she's going to go ahead and do that, lock it up, throw away the key. She's never coming back. Wink, wink, don't worry about it. She will. Uh, so the shrine is shut for now uh, in terms of the movie. You know, it's over, you know, and, and Claire is just going to move on with her life. So Claire, the next day, texts her about going to the party. She's like, fuck yeah, dude. I can't wait to go. This is going to be great. Oh, by the way, I'm wearing a okay. scarf. No, wait, not going to text you that. <laughs> you know? So as she is in the, the salon cutting a guy's hair, she hears the brother-in-law of Dawn come in and say, hey, my wife's sister has been missing for two days. Do you mind if I put this poster up? And it's of the barista. And you have that moment of Claire just kind of going, oh, shit. Like, I probably shouldn't have done what I did, but I had to. Oh, I had fuck, to get oh, that fuck, aggression. Oh, fuck. Oh, fuck. Oh, <laughs> yeah. fuck. You know, I'm just going to pretend like I'm not here. I'm going to pretend like I'm John Cena and you can't see me. And it's just going to be a pair of scissors laying on the ground. Yeah. <laughs> you know? But by, he, by the way, the, the by the way, the dude sitting in the chair getting his hair cut was a huge um, f- funder of her um, GoFundMe for the movie, and that's why he got a cameo nice. in the movie sitting in the chair there. <laughs> that's killer. Yeah, I love when they they give those perks where it's like if you donate a certain amount of money, if you have that kind of money to give, yeah, you get a cameo. So obviously, he definitely had the money to do it. Um, so Olivia texts back to, to Claire and she's like, hell yeah, girl, see you tomorrow night. We're going to party at nine, you know, at the record bar. And that's when Claire is like, oh shit, what do I have to wear? I have to pick out something. I have to pick out something. I have to pick out something. And like we talked about with Jill, you have this moment where she's flipping through all these dresses and all of them look great on her. You know, the blue, the outfits that she tries on, they all look good. Najara Townsend is just, again, beautiful. So it doesn't matter what she tries on. It's yes, all going to be a thumbs up and a head nod. You know, it's that from me. Oh, yeah. Anyway. But, um, but she decides to pick this very cool 70s mustard-colored dress. And, again, like we talked about with the, the color palette. So it obviously was an intentional choice to have a Claire wear the mustard-colored yellow-gold uh, colors throughout the movie for a more warmer palette as opposite to, you know, the girls that we see. Um, so she yeah. is getting down to this bachelor party. The introductions are made at the record bar. Uh, and, of course, it's a bachelorette party. So, of course, Olivia's like, woo, we want to dance. Shot, I'm drunk. Shot, and, shot. Yeah. Shot, shot, shot. <laughs> I, I just love everybody right now. I don't know. I just, I love all of you, and I want to hug all of you, and I just, I'm going to miss you guys, and I'm married. Oh, let's dance. And everybody just has to go to the, you know, dance floor and start dancing while Claire just stands there and watches. She's not much of a dancer, so she just doesn't really kind of know why, what she has to do. It's like, I, I don't know how to dance. Nobody ever taught me. <laughs> I've been in the orphanage. Well, she, 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 she wore a dress more for uh, twirling, you know, like, <laughs> instead of, you know, beating up the beat. <laughs> so she's, yeah, she's going to be dancing to Fleetwood Mac later and just doing spins exactly. in the middle of her room. While listening to dreams. <laughs> With a tambourine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm just flowing around with a scarf. But, uh, so... Olivia being drunk, you know, they always say when you're drunk, that's when honesty comes out. Like, that's when you start to become honest about a lot of things. 
And Olivia just kind of admits to Claire that she doesn't really know what she's doing in terms of getting married. But Claire's like, you know, it's, you're going to be beautiful. Everything's going to be fine. And then she tells Olivia, you know, that night that we met, uh, you know, you, he interrupted you. Like, that's not cool. And she's like, you know what? I do feel like I've been interrupted. But, hey, do you like to run? Because I like to run. And I'm like, no, fuck that. If anybody asks me if I like to run, I'd be like, yeah, from the cops. Not for fun. Only when chased. You know, really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's that's the only fun running, running I'm doing. Is when it's three o'clock yeah. in the morning and the cops are like, "Hey, you stop." Oh, okay. No. Okay, but granted, <laughs> yeah. okay, for all the jokes you're saying, I'm going to give you mad props for actually, you know, uh, you know, we sit there and crack on the king because he's a big guy. All right. But this motherfucker has a car, but still, I shit you not, unless the weather is shitty as fuck, he walks to work every day. This motherfucker walks, yes, like, like, three miles to work and back every day. Unless the weather is shitty as fuck, he walks to work. Mm-hmm. So props, <laughs> mad props to you, King, for doing that shit, man. <laughs> sure as fuck, too. I never gave that up. Yeah, like you said, once it's raining or snowing, I, I walk. I don't give a fuck. Put my headphones in, listen to a podcast, and I get to work. Um, so... Uh, Claire decides she has to go to the bathroom and decides that she's going to hide in one of the stalls because two of the women from the bachelorette party are coming through. One of them is a coworker we saw earlier, and there's another random one. And they start doing the whole – I love this about horror movies because in all these movies, like you always see the one scene of a girl hiding in the bathroom, and they're like, what's up with her? She sucks. What a loser. We should fucking kill her or something. And she's like, oh, yeah, they stop making fun of me. Like, you know, and so we've seen Mean, it so many times. Mean, it works here, too. <laughs> Meanwhile, it's shot in a bathroom from Neon Triangle. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Neon Demon, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Neon Demon, Scream, Carrie. I mean, this, uh, uh, the this class. This is far yeah. superior to Neon Demon. Yeah. Oh, I completely agree. Oh, hell yeah. Um, <laughs> so... Claire, you know, once they leave, she notices the drink stain still on her dress that she can't get out. So she goes to her car and just tells Olivia, hey, had a super great time, had a lot of fun, uh, but I'm going to go home. And as she does this, she notices Olivia and all the girls running out of the club going, I love you. Oh, see you later, wedding. Like, you know, as, as typically they, they do. Um, but she sees the one coworker of Olivia uh, leave in an Uber and gets home. And she follows her the entire fucking way, way too close, by the way. Like, at some point, like, the coworker would look out the back and be like, that car's been behind us the entire fucking time. Like, get a couple cars behind her. Yeah. Get some space, <laughs> you know, so she doesn't see you. But, but she doesn't. Yeah. Hmm? I wanted to ask you, though, her obsession with that, <clears throat> um, with her dress and stuff like that, you think maybe that was supposed to be, like, maybe a nod to Macbeth about out, out damn spot? It could have been. Damn, I wish we had asked her when we had her on. Well, maybe I'll ask her in, in you know, in, on Messenger, you know, tonight or tomorrow about that. You know, if that was because a reference. She, she just seemed really, really bloody upset. She just seemed really bloody obsessed with that one spot. She kept rubbing and rubbing, and I didn't know if maybe that was an intentional nod to Macbeth. Okay, hmm. sorry, just throwing that out there. No, no, I get that. I also just thought that because it looked like blood, that she was just kind of panicking about it because it wasn't coming out like the boot spot. Like, it's not blood, it's just okay. drink. You know, you better get, but it's not, I mean, but then again, like I said, I will definitely ask her. I'll follow up there about that. But the Olivia's coworker uh, lives next to a strip club, so I'm like, fuck yeah, dude. Like, that yeah, is kind of Yeah, girls, 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 right next door. Yeah, I would love to live there. Like, you know, come on. You know, but we see uh, her having the hookup also arrive uh, at the apartment. So Claire, 
you know, just oh, manages yeah. to get inside the house. And she has her scissors ready to go. And she sees the couple yep. asleep on the couch. And she's like, you know what? I'm going to do it. I'm going to take them out. But then she kind of oh, has second thoughts and runs into the bathroom and then notices prescription pills, which she also takes. And then she hears movement. And that's when the coworker walks into the bathroom to take a piss. And then that's when Claire's like, uh, you know what? This isn't going to be good. So I'm just going to go home <laughs> and just take off. You know, it's, it's, it's two less people that I killed. But again, it would be one of those things where I was kind of glad that she didn't go through with it because that, it would have been a mess. And plus, you know, you're going to have to kill two people with a pair of scissors. So it's better that you just go yeah. home. You could have yeah, done it, you but you didn't. Prep for it. You don't know the nope. terrain. You don't know the neighbors. You don't know the area. You know, it's it, that's like, you know, if you're sitting there trying to be a methodical serial killer, it's like one of those things, like, you know, she's already had one hiccup. She doesn't need another. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, it, it would have been too much. You know, plus, you know, the guy would have probably tried to overpower her at some point. You know, and it's not like Claire is a hefty woman. I mean, you know, she's very thin. Yeah. You know, so I guarantee you that guy probably would have beat the fuck out of her, and it wouldn't have been good. So luckily Claire just shrugs it off and decides to go home. Um, so now we get to a point where Claire is desperately trying to reach out to Olivia and talk to her. Like, if you need anything else, I'm here. You know, it, it'll be cool. And Olivia's start, just like, you know, I'm really distracted clingy. by work. Yeah, really like stage five clingy. Uh, with, with Olivia. And Olivia's like, no, I'm cool, thanks. But, uh, you know, everything's set. See you Saturday. And she's like, yeah, no, seriously, seriously, anything. And he's like, no, I get it. I get it. It's cool. Uh, but no. And that's when you see shots of Claire laying in bed, watching uh, Olivia's social media, looking at her phone, not getting any answers. I'm like, you know, dude, just pet Pepper for a little while and just be like, you're my only friend. Because like, that's it. That's the only friend you have. And that's why you should be happy with Pepper because, you know, Olivia's obviously busy. And it's also one of those things where, again, I kind of get it from Olivia, from Claire's perspective because I suffer from fucking anxiety. If I message somebody and then they're like, yeah, cool, whatever, and then I don't hear from them again, I'm like, did I do something wrong? Like, are they fucking mad at me? Like, did, yeah. Did, did, uh, like, and then I'll sit <laughs> there here. and fucking dwell on it. You know, because I, I got a, a text. Uh, I got a text from you know Marie the other day, and she's like, hey, I got to be really honest with you really quick. And I was like, oh. She's like, it's nothing oh, bad. Fuck. She's like, but I just, I've got to be quick about it. And I'm like, okay. And then fucking 10 minutes go by and she still hasn't messaged me. Oh, fuck. And she's like, man. And she's just like, oh, hey, you know, uh, it's cool. I just, I might be a little late seeing you Saturday. I'm like, that's it. Holy shit. I think I had five heart attacks. <laughs> oh, <laughs> no. And, and she, And she's like, no, no. And she's like, I got distracted by work. It's fine. And I'm like, no. Yeah, so. I get it from Gwen's perspective. You text her and you're not getting anything back. You immediately start to wonder, oh, fuck, oh, fuck, oh, fuck. Like, you know, what did I do? You know, yeah. how can I get back in their good graces? Yeah. You know. Um, yeah, each so, minute, each I, minute I, seems I, like an hour. And, and plus, again, it's like, you know, got to reiterate, Pe- Pepper was just so fucking cute. And I'm not one to sit there and be like that about dogs in movies. But, like, holy shit. Like, I just, like, I literally wanted to, like, steal that dog out of that movie. I was like, holy shit. This chihuahua was so much better than my fucking little shitty-ass chihuahua that shits and pisses all over the place. You know, you've been over here. You know my fucking chihuahua. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, anyway, Marie, you know, I adore you. I love you. It, it's all in jest. It's all fun. But, yes, I do suffer from crippling anxiety at times. Where if you're so, just don't like, do that hey. shit again, Maria. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, don't don't message me and be like, hey, I just have something to tell you real quick. And then you disappear for like 20 minutes. 
because literally I'll just be staring at the wall going, oh, fuck, it's over, it's all over, it's all over, oh, my God, oh, my God, <laughs> you know, like, oh, what did I do? Don't be mad at me, don't yell at me, <laughs> you know, I mean, what, <laughs> what kind of soda do you like? <laughs> like, that's it? You got a soda I like? You <laughs> suck! <laughs> Yeah, you know. Um, so yeah, we see it, we see the montage of, of of this happening, and then finally, Claire's had enough, and she goes to uh, Olivia's work, and meets her in, you know, on the rooftop parking garage. And Olivia's like, "Oh, so how do you know where I work?" And she's like, "Uh, duh, silly. I've been your stylist for like how many years? You've talked about your job before." And it's like, "Yeah, you shouldn't be so surprised, you know." But again, she found the address. So it's like telling somebody you work at Walmart. And it's like, I'm not going to tell you which Walmart. I just work at Walmart. But then they find you anyway. And you're like, how the fuck? So Claire's like, please, dude, I'll do anything. Like, I'll do your bridesmaid's hair. I, I'll do your hair again. I just, I just, I want to be a part of your life. I want to be a friend. And Olivia's like, dude, I, I have a lot uh, going on. So I need everybody, not just you, <laughs> not just you. Um, <laughs> and she's like, oh, yeah? Really? Well, maybe Charlie needs to give you some space. And she's like, okay, look, bitch. Don't fucking say that shit. My mom wouldn't even say that shit. So you need to fucking bounce. And she's like, well, no, I just, uh, I'm just distressed because I haven't seen you in a while. So Claire tries to rebound and, and just apologize and say, I'm sorry, but, of course, it's, it's, it's not working. Olivia's like, bye, bitch. <laughs> you, know, you said the one thing that you shouldn't have said. You know, I, just, yeah. I love that fact because yeah. now you see Claire getting totally desperate. Yeah, because she's getting totally desperate, and you know, and she's like, "Look, you know, you no, no, just step away. Just everybody needs to fucking step away." You know. Mm-hmm. And yeah, yeah. and, and yeah. I get it because, but and and I get it because when we uh, have the scene later where she goes into the house and stuff like that, you see the things that are going on where she doesn't have a ass family. She doesn't have a huge ass wedding planner. She, you, you see her going through the steps of having to sit there and prep, plan, and prepare for her own wedding. You know, having to prep all the party favors, all that kind of stuff. Pretty much, probably, you know, judging by all her, you know, uh, wing girls, you know, probably by herself. Yeah. You know, so mm-hmm. so there's a ton of pressure on her to have to try and get all of this done by herself. It's like because my first wedding with my first wife, it was like that where. You know, we were, you know, four kids, you know, no money, all that kind of stuff. Had to prep everything, and she's probably having to do all this by herself without any real support at her bloody limit. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, so you get that. You understand because you've lived it in real life, so you know. At the same time, even me, I I get it. Like, there's, there's so much to do with the wedding planning, you know, that you don't really even have time for yourself. So, meanwhile, you got a fucking psychopath that wants to be your friend. I just don't have time. Um, so, with that Not being now. said, Claire, once again, yeah, Claire is still desperately trying to get a hold of Olivia. So, the next day, she, she texts her, we need to talk, and please answer. And then she does that thing, believe me, I've been there, Claire, I get you, girl. Because back when I was a teenager, I used to do that, too. You know, you, you message somebody, and you'd be like, hey, what's going on? I think we just you know, need to talk or whatever. And then they don't answer you, so you fucking call. And then you're like, fucking answer, fucking answer. And then you have to leave a voicemail. I'm like, well, I guess I'll just wait. And they never call you back. But <laughs> somebody does pick up in this instance, and it's Charlie. And he's like, oh, hey. Uh, so, yeah, she's, uh, we're going into, you know, the, the preparation dinner and everything like that. So, you know, I'll tell her, you know, you called. And she's like, hey, Charlie, 
you interrupted her, Charlie. And he's like, yeah, that's cool. Anyway, see you at 10 tomorrow. I'm just like, damn. Uh, <laughs> you know, like, it didn't quite work out. Like, he, he was just like, yeah, dude, whatever. Um, you know, I don't care about uh, interrupting anybody. I have to go in to eat my practice dinner. Because I'm that deep, um, that kind of that guy. I'm, I'm interrupting you right now so I can go have dinner. Bye. <laughs> I know. So, of course, that doesn't work. So that night, she knows that they're having the rehearsal dinner. I, I fucking said practice dinner for some reason. I don't know why. Uh, it's rehearsal dinner uh, for the wedding. It's okay. Uh, but Claire, well, we got it. the key that she stole. Uh, she used the key that she stole to get into – she made a copy of it and used it to get into Olivia's house. So she sees the wedding supplies everywhere, and she's making her way into the bedroom to go through some of Olivia's clothes. And then she finds this silk – dress that she sees and it's like you know what i really want to check this out and see how it fits so she puts it on you know walks around the bedroom with this dress on she's an engagement photo of charlie and olivia and she puts her thumb over charlie's face um and then of course what does she find she finds a little pocket rocket that olivia has and you know this is kind of fun so i'm just going to go ahead and lay down on their bed and i'm going to use this pocket rocket on myself and masturbate and it's just, I'm just going to say, say th- thank goodness we don't have the ghoul here on this episode because it would totally take her <laughs> <Yeah>. to the movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, it doesn't last long. You know, it's one of those things where she uses it. And, you know, I, I kind of wish that they had had her looking at the photo more. But, unfortunately, it was of Charlie and Olivia, and that's probably not going to get Claire's rocks off. Like, maybe if she had a, a just one photo of Olivia by herself, it might have, but... It's too bad she doesn't have time no, to finish during, because she but, has to make an escape. But oh yeah, but during the sequence though, she does cover Charlie's face, so she's definitely looking at Olivia. So she oh, yeah. definitely is having thoughts about Olivia and only Olivia. You know, so you mm-hmm. know, hey. So yeah, it, it's obviously it, it's more of just a friendship thing now. At this point, Claire, without putting it out there and saying it, she's in love with with Olivia. Like she has a feelings for her, you know, as far as like or at least in, her Woody's mm-hmm. pocket mm-hmm. or at least in lust. That could be it too, and that could be a good point uh, that it's just lust, not love. It's lust. Um, but I don't know. I, Claire doesn't seem much of a lust person to me. She seems like a person that is a love person. Like if you show her any bit of affection, she's gonna be like, "Oh, we're gonna get married now." It's like, "What? I just met you." I mean, I'm not saying no. Because, like, you're a total smoke show, but at the same time, uh, yeah, just next year, hey, I don't know if I want to get married just yet. <laughs> you know, but, Dude, it's, yeah, yeah you, you and Claire, the way you are about redheads, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, especially she's got the mustard dress on and the knee-high socks, and I'm like, everything is working. You're a killer, but everything is working for me. Like, I'll just, I'll be hanging out. <laughs> you know, it would be to the point where Claire was like, I'm fucking bothered by your presence at this point. Like, I think you need to leave, sir. And I'm like, hey, whatever. I just wanted to get my haircut for the fifth time this week. Just take out. a restraining order. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to scalp you. Yeah, this woman I'm going to scalp you. People. Oh, yeah. I'm totally cool with that, babe. Yeah, I know. Consider this my commitment oh, you to you. Oh, wow. Clearly she's going to kinky, so she's going to scout me later. Can't wait. <laughs> um, and then there's, so, then there's a scene of her sitting in her basement with your fucking wavy black hair. <laughs> well, nice on yeah, fucking she her. Place up my yeah. <laughs> she would have to slice up the beard, too, and put it on. And then she'd just be sitting oh, in dude. front of her mirror and be like, Hi, I'm Andy. I'm Andy. What's going on? 
<laughs> it's the stout and beard. Do you like horror movies too? I love horror yeah. movies. Do you love horror movies? Let's talk about serial killers. <laughs> Who's your favorite serial killer? Is it Ted Bundy? Ted Bundy is my favorite serial killer. I love him. It's so great. Have you ever seen Maniac? I've seen Maniac. <laughs> and meanwhile, I'm just giving a thumbs up behind her. Like, I'm kind of not dead yet, but I love it. That's my girl. <laughs> you're, you're, you're nailing it, babe. Keep going. <laughs> God, I like it when you put on my scalp and beard. Nothing gets me harder. Rock solid over here, baby. <laughs> uh, you know? That would be yeah, that would be in the background, solid. looking like a Cenobite. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, my scalp's gone, my beard's gone, but I'm just smiling, you know, fucking wide as hell, giving a thumbs up. <laughs> like, I love all this. I love everything about this. Um, but so yes, uh, <laughs> uh, we could go about this all night, unfortunately. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> yeah. Olivia and Charlie, they come home and in the middle of, you know, Claire going into herself with the pocket rocket. Oh, man. And she's like, fuck, got to go. Grabs her stuff and gets the hell out of there wearing the silk dress that she had taken from Olivia. Um, and Claire drives home, and she's like, you're fucking stupid. You're fucking stupid. Like, you know, you shouldn't have done that. You know, too close, too close. And this is when she decides, yep, time to return to the cellar. Business is back open, baby. Like, you know, because we're back <laughs> to it. You know, it's like, you know, the sequel happening within the movie. Um, and she starts putting all the scalps back to where they were, and she puts them on, imitating a woman that she had met, you know, with blonde hair, and then quickly taking Sarah's hair and going, you get whatever you want. So, yeah, you know that this causes her to rage out, and she just fucking destroys her lair. You know, all of her stuff, all the things that she's collected, she's just completely raging out at this point, and she doesn't know anything other than she has to do another throw kill. Like, it's, like, fucking so raging that I have to kill somebody. And she's going to get her chance because it doesn't take long. Because we have Claire going back to her car and seeing a group of people walking home who go their separate ways. Claire leaves the car and walks to a nearby house and knocks on the door where we're greeted by none other than Jill Six herself oh, as the person shit. opening that door. And, hey, what's going on? She's like, hey, you know, I, my car went down and I just I need to get the phone. She's like, hey, wait right there. I'll go ahead and grab it. But, of course, Claire's not going to wait. She Jill has Six to is a so bitch. She didn't even say, like, hey, are you okay or anything like that. Yeah, what, man. Way to go, Jill, Jill. Six, man. Yeah, yeah nice you job. You didn't even oh, offer sorry. her a drink of water. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but anyway, she grabs the phone, comes back. Claire's already inside. Claire attacks her with a pair of scissors to the neck. And, again, and I know quick, it's the director. Quick, I know oh, it's quick, quick on yeah. that shit. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> And like I this, said, I know this is Jill, my favorite kill. still listening, but yeah. It is. I know Jill is always still listening. It's my favorite fucking kill. It's the monkey's favorite kill just because of how you did it. You know, right to the neck and the choking and the grasping at your neck, and then all of a sudden you're down on the floor and she is scalping you. But it's not only that. It's not only the fact that she had scalped Jill uh, in this particular moment. It's the fact that she puts on the wig. It's all messed up. It's all black hair. And she's just going to town on a piece of pizza, watching TV and laughing hysterically at whatever's on the TV. Just having a great old yeah. time, tapping her feet while Joe's body's right in front of her, completely scalped. I was like, it's fucking maniac awesomeness. It's like, so cool. No, no, dude, no, dude, no, 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 man. My thing was when she sits there and slowly pulls the scissors out of the ear, and then you just have that bleh coming out, man. Yeah, I was like, all right, all right, you, you got me. All right, I wasn't expecting that. Nice job. <laughs> it, it was so fucking cool, and it's just the gurgling. You know, all the blood, like I said, I don't mean to wax Jill's car too much, but it's just, it was fucking awesome. So I can't complain, you know, and 
like you said, in a movie that only has three kills, you're going to fucking like it because they're going to make it work. Yeah, I mean, that was, that was a good one. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so after all this happens, we see Claire's back in the cellar looking through a scrapbook after she has cleaned up everything. Um, and the end result is all the scalps have been put away, and it just looks like a really kind of sweet, soft-lighted uh, uh, vanity room. You know, just filled with candles. So it's like, once again, Absolutely. is she done? Is she finished? Is she not going to kill anymore? You know, has she gotten it out of her system? You know, once she killed Jill, it's like, okay, you know what? I got my rocks off, and I'm good. Like, I don't need to do this anymore. So is she going to lock back up? But instead, she grabs a photo out of the scrapbook and does her hair in the same fashion because she has to get coffee, get her usual. But this time, there's a funeral tip jar at the coffee shop for Dawn, and Claire doesn't really understand. She's like, well, what's the funeral tip jar for? And the person behind the counter is like, well, you don't know? And that's when you turn around and see that the poster for Dawn is still there. But then there's also another poster, Do You Know This Person? And it's a shot of Claire running away with the dress, the coat, and the hair on of Jill. So it's like, well, somebody got a shot of her running in the street, and they want to know who she is. So it's kind of like, he's not exactly on, but Claire now knows that people can see her. They could recognize that yeah. photo and be like, well, that's Claire. You know, so it's like, oh, shit. <laughs> you know? And I, I, she's trying to process this, but she has a wedding to go to. And that's when she arrives at the wedding of Charlie and Olivia. And Olivia is so happy to see her, and she's like, oh, my God, I can't believe you're here. This is my mom, Frankie. You know, let's go on and, and do my hair, which, of course, she does and, and makes uh, Olivia look beautiful once more. And, of course, all the girls are fretting over Olivia's dress. and like, oh, my God, oh, my God, get the buttons up. They're going to look so good. Charlie's going to look so good, and everything's going to be great. And then there's a little girl that sits there, and she wants to get her hair done, too, because she wants to look beautiful my just like too. Olivia. And, of course, yes, I'll do your hair. It's not going to take too long, and you're already beautiful. You know, and just being really sweet yeah. to this little girl that's sitting yeah, there. Yeah, it's because, a like, super yeah. sweet moment. Yeah. Like, this and is it's really, think, like, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah. I was I'm like, at this mm-hmm. moment, I'm thinking Claire is done. You know, she's there, comfortier, trying to be a great person and just be like, you know, sweetie, you know, your mom obviously didn't know what the fuck to do with your hair. Please let me fix that shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no charge. <laughs> Oh, yeah, no charge. But, but, again, I think that she saw a little of herself in that little girl. Because that little girl was oh. sitting by herself. She wasn't really talking to anybody. She was kind of shy. So I think Claire saw her and just kind of saw a little bit of herself in that girl. And she's like, yeah, of course I'll do your hair. And, you know, maybe she could be the progeny of Claire, you know, one day. Ooh. Ooh, so nice. That's, that's just the way I took it, you know. So, yeah, that's just the way I took it, you know, that it could be that way. So, anyway, she does the little girl's hair. Everything seems to be going There you well. go, Jill. Six. Uh, There's your sequel. <laughs> oh, see, that's how you do Yes, we figured it out, Jill. That's how we could do, a, a, you know, a sequel to The Stylist. It's another stylist. And this time it's the girl who's in college, and she's going to beauty school. And killing the it. next stylist. So, there we go. Trade, trade, Jill, trademark. you help writing it off, volunteer my services for free. <laughs> you know? I'll do it. Yeah. I don't care. No, not for free, not for free, not for free. Talking Terry definitely needs the money. <laughs> well, I mean, hey, just just give a special shout-out to, to Talking Terror somewhere in the credits, and that'll be my, my paycheck. But anyway, um, Claire sneaks outside and sees Charlie and Olivia talking. And, you know, again, it seems like everything is kind of evened out for Claire. Like, she seems like she's going to be fine. 
You know, she's at the wedding. She seems like she's really happy for Olivia and for Charlie. You know, there's not much more mention of, like, you know, uh, she interrupted you, and I don't think you should do this. Yeah. Um, so Olivia needs help with her veil. Like, it just, you did the hair, you should do the veil, because I don't want to get it all fucked up, of course. So she helps her put on that veil, and then also Olivia apologizes for yelling at her the other day. She's like, hey, listen, pre-wedding nerves, you get it. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to, to be a bitch to you. And that's when Claire starts to cry and then tells her, I got to be honest with you. I got to talk to you. And she's like, well, what? Well, I don't run. And then we cut, you know, to, to the wedding commencing. So without really even knowing what's happening, we just know that she doesn't run. And obviously she, is that the only thing she's being honest about? We'll find out because we do see <laughs> the bride as the doors open, the veil is on. Charlie's excited. He's going to be getting married. And, of course, again, like we had said earlier, she's walking down that aisle by herself because she doesn't have a dad. Yeah. Um, so you don't really know quite yet what's going on. But then if you pay close attention, you could see that that's not uh, Brea Grant as Olivia underneath that veil. Because she manages to but make it up to the altar with Jill. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But Jill's also doing some funky shots in between yes. uh, yep. person to person, you know, uh, because as the bride passes person to person, the the, the uh, camera is changing yes. and shifting. Yep. So you're not sure, actually sure what's going on as the bride right. is approaching. Sorry. Because she Go does ahead. this really, she, no, like you said, she does this really cool thing where, like, you can kind of see it, but you kind of can't. Because there's one moment where you're looking at her, and it is Olivia. It is Brea Grant. Yeah. But then you cut back, and it's also, it's also uh, Claire underneath the veil. So, like you said, yeah. yes, she does do it to kind of fool you a little bit. Like, who is it going to be once she gets up to that altar with Charlie? You know, is it going to be her? And then all of a sudden you're going to see Claire in the audience just kind of beaming with happiness. Claire does beam with happiness, by the way, but it's not for the reason that she should be, which is being in the audience. Uh, no, once Charlie takes up the veil, and this is, again, where I give a lot of credit to Jill, and you just did too, is that you have this second where you don't know what the fuck is happening. Like, you don't know, it, did she scalp Olivia, or are we looking at Olivia? Like, she does this beat where it's like, who the fuck am I looking at? But then all of a sudden, she just flat out gives you the shot of the scalp, and it's bleeding down her forehead. I had no doubt. And, and amazingly, you know, Claire is smiling and beaming from ear to ear. And then she looks down at the little girl, and the little girl smiles back at her. Doesn't freak <laughs> out, doesn't run. <laughs> She just smiles okay. back, and I'm like, oh, fuck, here's a progeny. <laughs> you know, we have a, we have okay. a successor. Okay, so, so with this, okay, I wanted, okay, I wanted to ask you guys this. Is, did, was it just me, or, like, did the camera, like, do a super fast shift back and forth between the two when they do the veil reveal, or was it just me? Yes, yeah. Where it's like, yeah. like for a second, like, I could have sworn, like, I thought I saw – but, you know, yes. Bale's face, and then I see her face, and it's, like, mm-hmm. going back and forth between the two. Like, it was, like, really, really fucking with me, man. It, <laughs> it, like, it, yeah. You know. Yeah. That's exactly what I was just saying, is that it's so quick that you don't know what the fuck is going on, because you're like, well, you're thinking it's going to be Claire, but then you're like, well, wait a second. No, that's Olivia. So what the fuck is going on? But because she does it so fast that your brain doesn't have a chance to process it until you see, finally, the blood dripping down the forehead, and you see that she had scalped Olivia. Um, and then, of course, giving the smile to the little girl, the little girl giving the smile back, and then 
everybody's just panicking. You know, Charlie, what did you do to her? What did you do? And she's still smiling, like, oh, my God, it's wedding day. You know, but then all of a sudden she has that moment of, like, I'm done. Like, I, I can't yeah. get away from this. And just like Jill said, yeah, uh, we could have had a shot of the cops running in and being like, you're under arrest. But, no, you need to have an end no. on Claire's face. Like, her story yeah, is and, her, you know, and uh, but, but also, this is like, you know, you're going to sit there and go. Like, this is like the kind of end you, ending you would give, like, an anthology kind of episode. You know, it's like, this is an episode of, like, Creep Show. Like, this is how you would yeah. fucking end this shit. Mm-hmm. You know, or, you know, they could have ended it in, like, a fun way. Like, uh, there's a movie called Alice, Sweet Alice. Uh, we covered it on the show from the 80s. Yes, we did. It's about the uh, killer killing people. But at the end of that movie, when the killer is revealed to be the old woman and she kills the priest, and then, you know, everybody's fucking, oh, my God, you see the little girl Pre-train. that's been suspected the entire time pick up the knife and pick up the knife out yeah. of the bag and look at the camera and freeze frame, like you said, monkey, and that's the end of the fucking movie. I was like, holy shit, with the stylist, you could have had a moment where the scissors are at the feet of the little girl that's smiling at her. And then all of a sudden, oh, what dude. does she do? She reaches down and picks them up. Right? And I was like, oh, Holy man, that shit. has been the ending. I, yeah. I was like, it ended great oh. either way, but if they ended it like a sweet Alice, sweet Alice moment, I would have been like, oh, shit. Okay. Yeah. Jill's not done. <laughs> you know, cliffhanger ending. Holy <laughs> shit. Oh, my God. That would have been, oh, my God. That would have been fucking awesome if did. I don't mean to step on your toes, Jill. Yeah, I don't know if you had that idea. You'll have to let me know. But, yeah, no, I was thinking about it. I'm like, yeah, they should have ended it like that, where the little girl picks up the scissors and then freeze frame on the little girl's face. But it, they ended it in the way that they should have because it's not the little girl's story. It's Claire's story. So you have to end it on Claire going from being happy to, you know, knowing that it's all over and that she's eventually probably going to have to answer to her crimes. Um, but that is it. That is a stylus. We close the credits. Uh, so once again, thank you so much, uh, Jill Duvargazian, uh, for joining us. Thank you. Uh, next week, Monkey, it yes. is your pick. What are we watching next week? Yes, it is. All right, next week. Okay, we are getting into the official start of summer, which means it's hot, it's sticky, it's sweaty, it's yucky, and ugly as fuck. So, okay, again, ho- holiday weekend. So we're going to sing an extra long movie. Um, guys, bear with me. We're going to go two-hour-plus movie because we're going to go with Kurt Russell and Bone Tomahawk. Ooh. Oh, wow. Okay, yeah. been a few years since I've seen this, but, yeah, Kurt Russell, the Old West, uh, maybe some cannibalism. We'll find out. But, yes, we'll be maybe. talking about Bone we'll Tomahawk see. next week. We'll see. Indeed. Uh, so thank you so much, uh, Dean, for ticking in with us. And I know we didn't do horror news this week because we had Jill on next week. We'll figure it out. But I'm, I'm just so glad that you were able to join us to talk to Jill tonight. Thanks, Dean. Thank you. See you next time. All right. Monkey, why don't you go ahead and sign yourself off as we close out this episode. All right. <laughs> Thank you for listening to tonight's episode of Talking Terror. Good night, everybody. <laughs> and as always, I'm your old pal, the King of Horror, Andy G. Once again, thanking you so much for listening to this episode. Once again, saying thank you so much to Jill uh, and Thanks, her work on the stylist and everything like that. It was a lot of fun. I hope she had some fun. I heard her laughing. So I think that was uh, her way of saying she was having a good time. But either way, 
It was awesome. <laughs> I look forward to having her back on in the future. Uh, we're going to be talking about Bowen Tomahawk next week. So, again, I'm excited about that. Fuck runtime. Because if a movie's good, the movie can be three hours. I'm with it. So, yeah, runtime be damned. You know, we're going to watch it. We're going to talk about it next week on the show. So, again, hail Satan. Hail yourselves. Watch horror movies. Keep America strong. We'll see you back here next week. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.